Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Downtime with Downstar, episode 105. And 105. today is a, a special episode. We're actually on a remote location at McGuire's, and we're sitting with uh, RJ Devera. RJ, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going, man? Honored it's going to be great. here. So. Dude, the honor's mine, bro. So. Thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. No, no worries. It. Thanks for driving all the way down. I know it's a far drive. Yeah, no, definitely, man. I um. I, I really appreciate you agreeing to do it at the facility. That that really means a lot to me, man. And uh, I know that weekends are important for me, and uh, I know they're important for you. So I figured if I could squeeze this in on a regular day uh, of work, that this will probably work out best for both of us. Yeah, man. sounds good. It sounds like yeah, you're a big family man, just from our chat. And I'm the same. You know, my family is kind of the most well, not kind of, but the most most important people in the world. So yeah. When you spend time with them, when you have to make those decisions, it makes it tough, right? So yeah, no, definitely, man. And I feel that the the weakest time for everybody to hustle. Yes. you know, my wife, she's yes. at work right now doing her <laughs> thing. Uh, the guys are at the shop doing their thing. So uh, I, I got to make things happen. And when it comes yep. for the weekend, that's time for the family. Yeah. So um, th- we have a lot of listeners that are fairly new okay. to the community. Okay. So um, I know a lot of older guys are going to listen to this and say, why is that the question that you went with off that? But okay. I think it's going to put a, a, a name to sure. a face a lot easier. So what a lot of people may know you for, and I'm sure you get this a lot, is from Fast and Furious. Yes, yes yeah, my two seconds of fame. I still get residuals, so awesome. I'm not complaining <laughs> whatsoever. But yeah, I had a character, uh, Danny Amato. He's in the first race, uh, you know, jar roll, Paul Walker, Vin Diesel. There's an Asian kid that crashes on Gran Turismo before the <laughs> race, which is, I get a lot of questions about that too. It's comic relief. I wasn't even there when they did the crash sequence. Yeah. But that was my character. Um, I stood around a lot. I had like three lines. Uh, I did have a character name, so this hence why I still get residuals. I was actually in the movie because I was a consultant on the film. Um, one of two. So Craig Lieberman's the other was the other person that was a consultant. And what we really did was help choose the cars for the characters, um, you know, try to get some of the parts for the cars to modify them. Um, Craig's actually written a whole book. So he actually worked on Fast and Furious 1 and 2. I don't know if he ended up working on 3. I only worked on 1. Got you. Um, so it was a great experience for me, you know, uh, in, in both a positive and negative uh, way. You know, positive, I couldn't believe that they were going to make a movie about Japanese import cars, I kind of laughed when I heard about it. And I was like, is this going straight to DVD? And they're like, no, we're serious. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, oh, really? No way. Um, and then the second part is, you know, we made the first movie. We had a, a not the biggest budget in the world. No one really gave two cents about it. There was a couple of the homies that really wanted to help out. And then the movie became huge. And then yeah. everyone cared what happened in the movie. And there were so many things wrong with the movie. And, and being a consultant on it, they would ask you things like, is this possible? And you're like, eh. <laughs> you know, like, can, would you guys ever race four wide? I'm like, eh, not really. Well, is it possible? Like, it's Ontario's big enough. It's possible. Um, so things like that, you yeah. know, and even a lot of the terminology, you know, one of, one of the things Craig and I did was we created this sheet of like just terms mm-hmm. and, and they started to put things together and things like the Motec exhaust system, which the funny part about that is there was a comma in the word and, and Paul just forgot to say Motec and exhaust system and it became Motec exhaust system. Oh, wow. And, and then everyone like had a ruckus like, oh my God, it's such a thing doesn't exist. <laughs> I'm like, we know that, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was 
odd for me because I have to remind people like, hey, it's a it's a movie. It's not a documentary for, you know, for goodness sakes. And, you know, I mean, for me, it was uh, both, again, a blessing and a curse. It, it really kicked off my career as a consultant within this space um, for about 10 years until I joined McGuire's. Mm-hmm. Um, and before then, I was just an editor for Superstreet, and I did a lot of um, automotive events, you know, car show judging, things of that nature. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like to call that my my five seconds of fame. And then I was on an MTV show called Trick It Out. Yes. Two seasons of that. And I'd say that's my 15 seconds of fame. So, you know, most people that if they weren't car guys or car fanatics or enthusiasts back in the 90s and knew me from Super Street, more than likely they knew me from the Fast and Furious or had heard about me from that or and or the MTV show Trick It Out, which I hosted and judged. Uh, back, I think that was 2004 and 2006. So that's my prime time time, yeah. uh, I'd like to say. And, and it was fun, you know. I, I still kind of do a few TV things here and there. I mean, I'm a judge on Battle of the Builders. Um, I've done that for about four years, which is on Velocity, which is now Motor Trend. And, uh, yeah, I enjoy some of that stuff. But it was I've always loved cars more than everyone thought I'd be an actor after the first Fast and the Furious. And, you know, the experience was cool. And again, I still get residual, so I enjoy that. But it wasn't my passion, right? So yeah. my passion was always, you know, revolved around the car. And, and it's why I'm still here, you know, 20, yeah. 20 plus years, 25 plus years later. So That's a blessing, man. Yeah. You know, I always tell people that if you're able to um, have your own business or have a job that you love, like that's happiness yeah, right there. Yeah, for sure. You know, for I, sure. I'm, and I think it's going to evolve. I mean, some, you know, for me, I, there was a lot of people when I joined this company, they thought I'd be here no more than 18 months because I had kind of owned my own thing for such a long time. And it just took a mindset adjustment, to be honest. And like you said, it's, you know, becoming more aware of what makes you happy. And, and for me, it's, you know, to continue to work in this kind of automotive industry. It's definitely grown much more than a, what I would have ever thought because yeah. I was basically an import kid, right? And that's really all I did for the first 12 years of or even 15 years of my career really was really focused on that genre and then you know as I got older you know kind of you kind of start to look around like well what about European cars what about exotic cars what about American muscle cars and you know working at Meguiar's and been very blessed to kind of really attend more events and meet even more people that are just in automotive and and that to me is really cool it's just like you've got this underlying bond with other people and just through a passion for cars in general, right? Doesn't ma- really matter the car, and everyone's got a different story to bring. And but you feel connected to them some, in some weird shape or form. And to me, that's that's really fulfilling, you know, to yeah. to like share this passion with other people and and to work for for a brand that you know that's what we really pride ourselves in, in doing that and making sure that we can continue to do that. So. Yeah, definitely. So present day, mm-hmm. working at Meguiar's, uh, you do work with Super Street as well uh we do a lot of collaborations Collaborations. so i've been here for about 10 years um and you know again as a brand we really want to support you know the car scene the car hobby it's something that barry mcguire was very big on it the the funny story is i was actually sponsored by mcguire's back in the late 90s oh wow um and so you know our head of our global director of training was the guy that trained me who's now one of my best you know kind of friends and 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 is a close colleague and we work together in a lot of things so you know, again, we were talking about this earlier. The world is small, especially, you know, in in our space and yeah. in automotive. So, so we do do a lot of collaborations. Super Street, of course, holds a real special place in my heart. I was an editor there for five years. Yeah, um, I had multiple cars on the cover of the magazine through the years. The car that that launched the magazine was a 
a really good friend's car that was in my car crew in high school. Wow. Um, on this yellow DA6 Integra, basically on type C's. And so, you know, so for me, it's my roots. And I wrote for other magazines like Modified Mag and, and a few other things, but Super Street, of course, is the one that's that's near and dear. And, and you know, luckily, it's still the one that's really still around Yeah. Uh, as a print mag. And, of course, its own kind of, I don't know, import kind of online universe, right, with Honda Tuning and Import Tuner and all those other things. So, um, yeah, I mean, Sam and I are good friends. We, we've worked on quite a few things like the the SEMA Award and, and the Super Street McGuire's Ultimate Awards. So... They're not the only partner, of course. Yeah. Um, we work with lots of different people, you know, hot rod side, concourse side, um, Japanese import side, Porsche side. So it's it's fun. Like for me as a car person, it's really, really fun to to be able to dabble and really meet people who just at the end of the day love cars and yeah. have a passion for cars. So, so being in the industry for 20 plus years, establishing yourself as um, one of the... Um, I guess, building blocks of the community. Let's get back to how you even got in this position in the first place. I, I want to I kind of paint this picture for people because if there's somebody that um, would like to be in that position in the future, I think this would give them kind sure. of a, um, uh, a, a road to go down. Yep. So uh, if you can just tell us about your beginnings and where all of this started from. Sure. Um, you know, I think when you're a car enthusiast, there's, there's always kind of a moment or a number of moments that lead up to why you kind of have this passion for cars. I love cars. For me, I think I was just drawn early on. My mom has a lot of stories that I, the, the toys I would gravitate towards were the matchbox and toys and whatnot. And I was born in the Philippines, actually, and, and okay. I moved here in the 80s. I got into racing RC cars, um, which, you know, I started playing with like, you know, oil damper like the the oil and dampers the damping rate the the nine turn motors and the batteries and and that kind of i think got me into the whole thing of like just filling with with things um and then i my older brother who's seven years older he had some friends um who ended up taking me to the street races when i was 14 something like that um and kind of like just instantly fell in love with like japanese imports uh gotcha. there was a there was a crew that I saw on that day. It was I think it was called Black Magic Racing, and uh, they were friends of my brother's friend. And I had met, I got got a chance to meet some of them, and I was like, oh my god, I want to I want to fix up a car. So I ended up, um, you know, getting a job at fourteen, um, working under the table for a for a copy service company, and all the money that I made, I basically started buying parts for a car I didn't have. So Craigslist at the time was <laughs> the recycler. So if anyone's from that era, they'll be like, oh my God, the recycler. Yeah. So I would look in the recycler every week and, and, and I would buy and trade. And, and so I thought I was going to get an EF Civic was my goal. When I turned 16, I was saving up for, and I wanted a teal one. Um, I wanted racing heart super fins and bunch of Mugan stuff, of course. But, you know, so that kind of got me going. My mom kind of, you know, blessed and gifted me this um, 92 Integra LS that I then fixed up before I even got my license. So I had um, Burberry Type C's, uh, JL subs. It was slightly lower. There wasn't a whole lot you could do. But, you know, quite quickly I was modifying these cars, and this car, and it was new, and my mom was like, hey, I, I got you a new car. Like, why are you fixing something that isn't broken? And I was <laughs> like, uh, 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 and then kind of light bulb in my hands. Like, oh, well, I'm going to sell this stuff. Cause I was hanging out at all the import shops in LA 
And there was always people like asking me like, oh, yeah, what should I get? You know, and, and I was always pushing people even more like, oh, you really need to get an exhaust or we didn't have cold air intakes back then. We would just go to Home Depot okay, um, and get a Canon filter and then we would get some plastic and some clamps and that was kind of- And make it work. And make it work, you know? And so I would kind of do that for friends and I was like, oh mom, I'm gonna sell, I'm, I'm in high school. Remind, this is like, I'm 17 and I'm in high yeah, school. Yeah, let, let's paint yeah. the picture. So you're 14 when you got um, introduced yep. into the automotive community. Uh, the, I mean, extracurricular part of it. Yes. Uh, what area- is this in Southern California and what year is it? Sure. So this, oh man, when was this? This is probably like 1990, I'd like to say, right? Because okay. uh, my first car is in 92. So yeah, this is 90 is right around that range. Okay. Uh, street races at the time were in Gardena. Gotcha. And Selmar. Okay. Um, were the two places. Um, Selmar was under the bridge. I can't remember where the Gardena was. I think it was in somewhere housing district. Um, so that was kind of that era. So you, uh, you got introduced within 14, uh, 17, you're, uh, had already worked collecting parts and, uh, making parts to sell. What, where were you getting your, uh, information for these parts? So yeah, this is high school. Um, you know, there were really not a lot of magazines out yet. So I was one of the kids that was going to a Japanese markets and buying option magazines. Gotcha. Um, and I actually took Japanese in high school and college to try to decipher what I was reading. Uh, I, I, I learned the symbols for Integra. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and I started to learn chassis codes like EG, DA, DC, all uh -huh. that stuff, EF. And so, oh, oh, so, you know, this exhaust company makes an exhaust because it, it, <laughs> it says the thing. So I kind of got a lot of information through that. And then just hanging out at the different car shops in, in LA. So whether it was Han Motoring or CarMate or, or JG Engine Dynamics where Steph work um, or Dynamic Autosports down here in Irvine, I would just hang out at these places and you kind of just learned mm -hmm. and you would break stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I, I was a guy that I ended up with, with my, my DA6, uh, my GSR about a year and a half after that LS. So at this point I'm just graduate, you know, I'm at the end of my high school term. I'm selling parts out of my mom's house. And I, instead of going turbo, because it was so difficult to do at that time, I ended up going nitrous. So I ended up hanging out mostly with a lot of the guys here at Dynamic Autosports who were uh, one of the first groups that really started to pioneer like direct port nitrous injection. I, I started with single fogger, blew something up, rebuilt the motor. Yeah. I, think, I think Steph actually rebuilt it while he was at JG. Um, because I'd built the motor, I went to four fogger, blew it up again. Um, yeah, and so you just kind of lived and learned, you know, um, and you kind of learned from the people that were in the garage tinkering. Um, the guy dynamic was a guy named Waylon Jung. There was Steph, there was Junior, who was, I forget where Junior was working, but he was somewhere else. There was Tony Fuchs um, at, at his dad's shop, Underground Ford, mm -hmm. who was doing stuff. So you just kind of, you just kind of met these guys and they were really the pioneers. They were really, they were like breaking stuff every week. Yeah. Right. Um, and then going to battle and kind of duking it out for, you know, like to be the fastest Honda, you know, to be the fastest front wheel drive. So that was fun. That was fun to watch and kind of talk to all those people. Um, I also met a guy named Dan Paramore who had kind of this, he did head porting and built race engines. So I learned some stuff from him. And, and so kind of that's where I kind of got started, you know. At this point, was everybody, all the shops that you went to, um, these names that you're mentioning, Steph Papadakis, mm -hmm. uh, Tony Fuchs, uh, were they pretty accepting of a young kid just coming in and uh, not, not knowing much but wanting to learn? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of these guys are pretty much my age, so they were working for someone, but they had Han as as well, right? So Tony, I think, I'm pretty sure it was his dad's shop. Um, with Steph, I think he was at JG pretty much for working for Javier for JG, um, and so they were like the homies, you know, yeah. and and they were kind of pioneering stuff, and they'd kind of apply what they learned on on your cars as long as you were open to it, you know. And, and everyone kind of learned from each other. Definitely, they were they were pushing the boundaries more along with a few other people. Um, but yeah, they, they they had no qualms at like, what do you want to do? Oh yeah, let, we can try that. Or yeah. well, or I tried that and, and it broke. Right? Like, you know, you you, you can't do that. You're gonna have to do do, do pistons and rods. Like, uh, we're, we're gonna try, but you're gonna blow it up. It's like, no, let's try it anyway. Boom! Oh, <laughs> like, oh, I told you we blew it up. So so yeah, I think that was kind of that was the such the uh, the magical part of those days you know as everyone was learning at the same time you ended up spending more than you wanted to because you would try a, a new cam and it would not work you know um and so you'd be like oh dude i gotta you know you'd go back to iski and be like oh, i mean you know and every shop would try a different profile cam and 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 you know kind of work with this you know there was these were before like cam sprockets or cam sprockets right mm -hmm. so you were kind of playing around as much as you could with the timing um, just to make it work, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, you just kind of you, you kind of learned and you moved along and you and you just broke a lot of stuff. Yeah. So when did you realize that this was turning into something more than just a hobby? Uh, pretty early on, uh, you know, uh, selling stuff out of my mom's house, I made enough money to to really you know modify my car and and, and really not work. That was my job. And you know, I have a pretty interesting kind of thing. As I got into college, I became a partner in this shop that. Ported uh, Honda heads for race cars, mostly Honda engines, and built the motors. And then I was the guy selling um, the hard parts, mm -hmm. so the valve springs, the, the pistons, the rods for the shop. And then I almost failed out of engineering school. And my mom was like, "Oh hell, <laughs> hell no!" And, and uh, she was like, "You're gonna close your part of the shop down. You're gonna get a degree, even even if it's in basket weaving." Uh, so that kind of changed my life yeah, quite a yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, but I was lucky enough that I met the guys from Super Street I was there, as they were starting that magazine and then became an editor for the magazine. That's how I paid my way through college. But, you know, even in that first year of college, like I started to like feel like, wow, this could be something. Uh -huh. You know, there was just there was such a swelling of people that were just part of this movement um, you know, and, and going to battle the imports every year. It just got it kept getting bigger and bigger and more people got more into it and more into it. And I was like wow, this is crazy, you know? And, and then I would meet people from San Diego or San Francisco, and I was sourcing parts from all these places now that were, were beyond just the, the tuning shops in LA. And everyone that I met, it, there was so much enthusiasm. And so for me, it was like, you know, I I got so much grief from some relatives, like, what are you doing messing around with cars? Like, you know, I'm being Asian, they were like, they were hoping I'd be some sort of doctor or lawyer, your typical, you know? And yeah. Engineering was like halfway decent, right? Yeah. But it was like, no, I, you know, I just really love this car thing. And, and I got so many lectures. Luckily, my mom was like, hey, if it's what you love, you just go do. That's you know? awesome. But you need to get a degree. So, you know, early on in college, I kind of knew. I, I mean, I was blessed to go to Tokyo Auto Salon my first year of college, fresh out of high school. And I wow, going there, you know, I was like, man, it was a, it was a real industry. It was an industry, right? The show was already fairly sizable. You know, and I, I also went to SEMA for the first time that year, and there was very little import stuff. This is back in, like, 97, right? Um, but going to Japan was really eye-opening because I, I I ended up befriending some some 
Japanese guys who knew a few friends in Japan. So, like, I met the guys at Night Sports who were doing, like, RX-7, you know, FCFD stuff. And um, I kind of, not that year, but a few years later, I met the guy that owned Veilside. Um, and then who introduced me to Tarzan Yamada or the Drift King or the guys from Top Fuel. And so, like, you know, I'm like 18, 19, 20 at this time, and I see these people with real businesses, and that's their business. And so for me, I kind of already knew at that time, like, yeah, this is definitely I could, you know, make a living. And, and being an editor, I was already making a living. That's how I was paying my way through college. Because my mom was like, oh, you think you're cool? You're also going to pay for college. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> dang it. Um, but, you know, I think it's the best thing she had ever done for me because I really realized what it meant to make money and what it meant to spend money on on things, you know, because I had to manage my own budget, right? I, I wanted to fix up my car, yet I had to pay for school. Luckily, I lived at home, so I didn't have that burden. But, you know, it, it taught me a lot of things about money management and prioritizing and whatnot. So, so yeah, I had a really good life, you know, being a magazine editor. I started to travel all over the U.S., this was at a time when um, magazine editors were starting to meet meet each other. There was no internet yet, right? Mm -hmm. So this is this is like AOL. Maybe the internet was AOL in 95, 96, 97. Um, so there wasn't like this crazy thing like where you could look up photos and stuff online. You could, but it would take like five minutes to download. <laughs> yeah. So I started to meet other editors, like guys from Europe, you know, that were doing Max Power and, and us doing Super Street, and then Import Tuner came out. So. I was starting to travel all around the U.S. and around the world and go to different car events and really connect people and share their story, you know, as a photographer and as a writer and, and be at the same time be such a big part and proponent to customizing cars and either, you know, doing Battle of the Imports or the Naira series or any of, of those import drag racing series. And at the same time, all the car show stuff, import show off, hot import nights, import revolution, whatever, whatever import show there was yeah. that came through that time. So, I mean, that, that was, you know, a good 10, 15 years of my life. Dude, that's awesome, man. All the stuff that you're yeah. saying is just like, it, it's just history. Mm -hmm. This um, seems like the, uh, the culture just burst here in SoCal. But For sure, yeah. But people in SoCal were reading the magazines from Japan. Mm -hmm. So your first time going to uh, Tokyo Auto Salon, first of all, making that decision in still in your teens to go out there, yeah. that that's a crazy decision to make in its own. Yeah, I was so enamored with Japanese culture, Japanese tuning, even in high school, right? So... When I, you know, when I was buying parts for a car I didn't have, I was already starting to look at option mags and because I knew I wanted a Honda. And there was nothing in the U.S. that you could find outside of being at one of the tuner shops and then looking at the Japanese catalogs. Um, all you had was that. So I kind of really fell in love with, with Japanese culture pretty early on, like 14, 15. And I had a deal with my mom that if I graduated a certain with a certain GPA and a certain award in high school that... What I wanted as as kind of like the prize was a ticket to Japan because I really wanted to go to Tokyo Auto Salon because I would keep seeing it in, in the option and the got option you, two got magazines. You, got you. And Super Street, funny side story, is they, it, it launched October 96 or November 96, okay. one of those months. Auto Salon's always in January. Yes. So the editor at the time, Matt Pearson, I was like, hey, if you want this magazine to be legit, you got to go to Tokyo Auto Salon. <laughs> 
And he's like, RJ, I don't have the budget for that, you know? I'm like, well, I'm going. He's like, he's like, you're going, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going. Like, you should just come with me. And he's like, I, I can't, but I'll give you film. Will you shoot it for me? And I was still an engineering student. Wait, right? what? what's film? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? What is that? Wow. What is that? So, you know, being a college kid, he's like, you know, I'll pay for your film and developing. And if it's good, we'll we'll use it as a feature. And I was, I kind of laughed. And I was like, I'm an engineering student. And he's like, if it sucks, we won't use it. At least you won't pay for film. I'm like, and printing. I'm like, hey, that's a good bargain. You know? Yeah. So I did. Uh, so this is 97. I come back. He's like, hey, can, the photos are decent enough. Can, can, you know, it's going to be a four-page article. Can you write the story? And I'm like, man, I'm an engineering student. He's like, <laughs> RJ, that's what we have copy editors for. Like, we'll fix it. Yeah. So it was like 500 or 700 words. I'd never worked so – I had never, like, sweated some, something – so much and like i for two weeks i kept like rereading it and rewriting it and it launched and it got a good response you know and and he was like hey and this is this this is how i actually became an editor for super street was through that moment wow um, because people were like hey we'd love to see more stuff from japan and because you know in in those photos i had photos of like ari amamiya rx7s and you know Veilside supra and top fuel crx and you know hks ball bearing turbo and people were just like their minds were kind of blown looking at it in a u.s magazine because if you didn't have option you didn't know what any of that stuff was yeah you know so for me it was pretty normal like i see this stuff in option all the time i i, I every booth i went to i was like i know and i go go look at because i had already kind of read about about what who what new items some yeah. company was going to launch or some product that their uh, company was going to launch whether it was Fujitsubo or HKS or Apex or Gretti or even a smaller niche brand like Japan brand. So I kind of became that editor's person on the street, mm -hmm. you know, even as we bring stuff up a lot, but you know, what's battle of the imports? And I'm like, Oh, you've got to go. Like it's this drag racing thing. And there's this guy, Frank Choi, who started it, who has this RX seven and there's these Honda guys duking it out. And this guy named junior and Steph and Archie and Tony and, He's like, who are all these people? And I'm like, <laughs> don't worry. Like, I'll introduce you, you know? And it's like, because he was focusing on like a lot more show car stuff, which a lot of us did. But I think at the end of the day, even us show car, we call ourselves show car kids. We all aspired to be like real race car drivers. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and guys like Steph and Archie and Miles, they were the ones that were going out there and doing it from a drag racing perspective. And so I kind of became his guy for that. And and because I was already so entrenched into Japan tuning, I was his guy for that too, until Johnny Wong ended mm -hmm. up working for the magazine. He was kind of, well, there was Ed Ang as well, who, who was there pretty early on, but he didn't stay very long. And then he went to Import Tuner. And then Johnny Wong, who was there for 15, 20 years or something, jumped on board too, maybe like a year into the magazine or maybe 18 months, gotcha. pretty early on. And really, you know, Johnny found that, like, the JDM term, I think on a forum or something, someone had started it. And then kind of Johnny kind of shared it with the rest of the world through Super Street, right? And he really, you know, he had a, I think it was an EG Civic. I'd like to remember it was a red one. And he started to, to kind of really get into, like, let me buy the original Japanese part from Japan. Gotcha. And that kind of, you know, the movement started even before him, but I think he really adopted it and shared it with the masses in a way. So for me, it was just really great to be, part of all that and be the kind of the person that kind of brought a lot of that to the world you know going to japan i started to do a lot of features in super street about japanese companies 
you know, and, and you know, who was this Japanese company? What what were they doing? What parts were they making? And even for a little while, part of my my professional life was being a consultant, helping these Japanese companies start their U.S. branches. Um, you know, and so that was fun too. It was it was a really good time for me, and and that just meant I was in Japan a lot. And there were years like six to eight times I'd be in Japan. You know. Wow. So at this young age, where where do you think the confidence came from to just up and go to Japan yeah. and you know further your uh, your hobby of um, import enthusiast? Sure. I you know I didn't I don't just looking back and even now I don't I don't see it as courage. It's just my personality is I always want to be learning. You know, and there's there's a thing called the learning mindset. It's kind of a philosophy and a mindset. And I and I think it just always. That's just kind of part of my DNA. And so for me, any opportunity to learn was a great opportunity. Um, and so I took every chance to do that. And, it, you know, I didn't feel like I was being overconfident or not have any confidence. I just felt like I was a person trying to find out something new. And I also wanted to share it. Mm -hmm. You know, I really wanted to share people's stories. There was kind of some early instances within Super Street that allowed me to feel that, that like, became made me more hungry to do that you know going to auto salon and really sharing you know that show with really the u.s in a way like being one of the first i wasn't the only one but there was other people but being one of the first to re and get a response and a letter written back like that article was you know dope. wow like, you no know? way and so it kind of like much like you're doing now you there's there's this joy you find in, in helping share people's stories right yeah and, and, and maybe even helping them be a little bit more successful than they were. So I really found that that was a, a thing that really was fun for me. And now I would call it fulfilling. At that time, I didn't even realize that. And so, you know, it wasn't, for me, it wasn't really about courage. It was just, just go, you know, just about doing something um, cool and fun. So, you know, over the years, I started to realize I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of that type of person that, and no holds barred, man. If if there's something I really want to do or find out, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna put my mind to it and try to do it. You know, I'm not always gonna succeed. Yeah. Um. There's been a lot of things I failed at. Trying to be a race car driver is <laughs> one of them. I built two 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 chassis front wheel drive cars that never got finished. Oh. Wow. Um, side story on that. I'm sure. <laughs> okay. But you know, there's those those are learning experiences, right? Yeah. So, but Japan is, was awesome, and that that period of my life, going through college, being an editor, um, traveling the country fixing up my car, going to car shows, you know, shooting cars, shooting events, you know, just all of it was um, kind of a, a big part of, who, you know, what made me who I am today because I really got to network and meet people um, within this world who, you know, even today are like doing a lot of big things, right? So because you come from the same class, right? So, you know, uh, what's a good analogy? So if you look at the NBA, you know, you look at LeBron's class, right? There's Melo, there's LeBron, there's Wade, all um, Chris Bosh. I think mm -hmm. they're all part of that class. So I kind of feel like this early 90s, there was this class of people really driving, you know, Japanese import kind of culture. And there's so many of us that are still kind of around more behind the scenes now. Yeah. But it's so, such, looking back, it, it was such a great time to be part of that class, right? And And to be so involved with all these people that were making moves to make the, that world bigger. 
Yeah. You know? And that's one of my uh, reasonings for doing these podcasts, um, besides just enjoying long form conversation mm-hmm. with people, is to kind of paint that picture of the people that were around before I was, before anybody else was, mm-hmm. and to see the, the foundation of the community. So if you can, just kind of throw out some names of people that um, helped start it and may still be involved in it today. Well, I mean, if you look at, you know, the beginnings of, of Japanese car culture in the U.S., you know, you'd have to look at the events as kind of one of the main proponents that really pushed that. So if you look at drag racing, really Frank Choi kicked it off with Battle of the Imports. There were a few other drag racing series that came, like Naira. I can't remember the name of that guy. I don't think he's around anymore. But he sold it to Peterson, right? Um, and so then Craig Lieberman was kind of the head of Naira for a while. But import car shows, I mean, that's a big one. I mean, they're still around today. You know, there's different people doing it now. But the OGs were, the very first one was Ken Miyoshi, Import Show Off, mm-hmm. Pomona, March 95. Quickly followed up by this guy named Todd Kinetko, who actually had some pretty dope cars and was involved in the industry. Still works today. I believe he works for Mazda. He had a show called the Performance Motorsports Expo. Um, and that was late 95. And so were, those were the two first big shows. Um, I don't know if Ken's still around. I mean, I knew he was doing some stuff with Dai Yoshihara, um, and he was still doing the import show at Nisei. Yes. Um, and I, I believe it's back on again, so I think he's still doing it Really? Again. Yeah, and, and I think he's still the, the organizer. Hmm. So, And then Hot Import Nights was the one that took it more national, right? So a lot of guys involved with Hot Import Nights, Richard Goodwin, Mike Munar, Todd Wallen, all those cats that, you know, and, and some of the kids that are doing shows right now come from the Hot Import Nights days, right? So Ryan Sage and, and Jim Lau from Formula D shared an office with the HIN guys early on before Formula D was Formula D. Hmm. Um, the guys that are doing the tuner show, like Ray and Nate, were kind of part of the HIN crew back in the day as well. I don't know about the wet guys. I think they're, they're their own kind of um, group of people. Um, Import Revolution or Import, what's the one from Philly? I can't remember the name of the one. Tuner Revolution. Tuner Revolution. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he was an HIN guy in the beginning or kind of helped. Somehow. Jay. Jay. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know his complete story, but I'm assuming he came from somewhere else. We're gonna well. get it one of these days. Shout out yeah. to Jay. <laughs> Shout out to Jay. Shout out to Jay. Sorry, Tuner Revolution. I know it's a big show. So, so you know, those were the main ones for me, of course. Um, and then there's the guys that were pioneering car builds, right? Whether it was a show car or a race car. So mm-hmm. on the race car side, you know, definitely Sean Carlson, who was a really, you know you know, big fabricator at the time and, and who worked with Steph and a couple other guys, Jason Whitfield and whatnot, uh, the Bergenholtz brothers. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that name has come up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Ron, Shout out to Ron. Yeah, Ron and Ed. And I Ed. mean, those guys, I mean, really pushed both, you know, Ed on the racing side and then Ron on the show side, like, you know, to the next level um, from, from a Honda perspective. Um, there were other car show guys who were basically unbeatable at the time. Non Fujita was a guy who really did more rx7 and 240 stuff um he was gone for a while. he had a store called he had a shop called Inonvative that did a lot of tomei stuff always gaikin stuff uh, but he's back i heard and he's doing a lot of skyline stuff and he has a shop here in irvine I, i've heard his english has gotten a lot better because at the time <laughs> i met him he didn't speak any english so i think he was a big car show guy um along with bergenholtz um you know i was definitely up up there with them you know yeah and so was my crew so my my 
crew in high school was called uh, Kosoku Racing. Kosoku Racing. Which Kosoku. Meant, yeah, high speed really? or freeway. Yeah, I found I'm familiar it. with Kosoku. Yeah, so I found it in the Jap. I was the founder of that actually with some other guy that worked at the mall. Oh wow! Um, and so there's some kids that were kind of that were like the little cousins that still rock the logo now. Yeah, with the K, and that K is like the Kansai K basically uh-huh. from Kansai Service in Japan. Um, and then my second crew was called Art in Motion. And so there was a bunch of those guys in that crew that are still around today that built some pretty rad cars as well. Um, John Sabal being one of them. I don't know if John Sabal's name's come up, but he's a he's a famous um, comic book artist that, that does a lot of car illustrations. Um, he's more of a Euro, Euro car guy, so he has an RWB, a Nardo Gray RWB 964. Um, and he's pretty well known and, and just, you know doing renderings for different builders and whatnot. So I mean, there's so many people that through the years just, just have, just had an impact yeah. and continue to have an impact, you know, but for me, those are the guys that were really, I'd say the most, um, relevant, um, in, in pushing things, you know, and of course the magazines. Right? Yeah. So, you know, import tuner and that was really, you know, um, Ed Ang who, who ran it for a long time and then Carter Jung and then super street. So all the editors of super street through the years, you know, Matt Pearson, Richard Chang, Naderi was the editor of super street for a long time. Mm-hmm. Johnny Wong, um and then turbo mag as well which you know a lot of those guys ended up at d sport so mm-hmm. mike ferreira and all the guys that ran turbo who still are now running d sport mike ferreira being the main one um is very you know a big part of this movement becoming what it is you know and, and, and he's still around and he's still doing things and and of course some of the shops right so there's always the shops as well yeah so. man that's so funny that you mentioned uh kosoku and uh-huh. um Nisei, because that's kind of how my whole thing started. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got my car in 2009, and uh, okay. I started in, I started realizing that I liked Hondas in 2007, because okay. before that, I was just in a muscle car, so okay. I hated anything wow. that was you an went, import. You went reverse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I still most have, of the import guys might go muscle, might, <laughs> yeah. they might, but. I still have the Chevelle to really? this day, but I, I mean, that was just my immature mentality back then, you know, oh, I don't want cool, a Honda, right. you know. So back, Backwards race car, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, when I, I got my right-hand drive Civic, uh-huh. I, um, I built it, and then my first show ever was Nisei really? 2009. Wow. And uh, one guy that took me was uh, Guillermo from GPR Auto. Okay. And Guillermo's the one that introduced me to Kosoku. Okay. And uh, he um, introduced me to uh, EJ and Parnell, yeah, you know, yeah. and those guys. Um, and that kind of that kind of introduced me into the the community in the okay. valley yeah so all the valley guys right. so w- if you're talking 2009 um in san fernando valley okay. that's kind of from my eyes that's the heart of like the show car scene at uh, that time okay where everything's transitioning right. into shaved and tugged right. and then the uh, phase two guys are doing the uh, the stance so uh-huh. kind of the early scene of that right but um, I never even knew really the history. Yeah, of yeah. It, Pornell man. was um, the cousin of this guy named Nate, mm-hmm. and Pornell was the coolest kid, man. He must have been twelve or thirteen. We'd kind of roughhouse him, you yeah. know. <laughs> He'd wash everyone's cars uh, from the crew. He was he was great, man. And I know he has a pretty sick DA now. Oh but, yeah, it's it's uh, timeless, man. So yeah, it's it's so cool to have seen him. You know, to have seen him grow up. I mean, Alvin's another one 
who was kind of part of that era. I think out he had a his name was Sonic, but he had a, a Del Sol that was like Smurf blue, and now I think he has an Audi wagon or something like that. But, Got you. Um, but yeah, that's the history. So I, I'm I'm the guy that started that crew. Dude, that's awesome, yeah. man. It's crazy how everything just intertwines. Small world, man. And that crew got really big. We had southern california northern california it got to like 100 deep like wow massive uh and then i i turned it into a brand at the end you know and, and it just got too big too and, and that's why i was like i didn't have the second crew until much later in the late 90s early 2000s because that was you know we were young and and, and it just it, 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 it just it just kind of grew out of control in a way you know but it was still fun i mean yeah. we had a great time we we had a lot of sleepless nights you know, just getting ready for different shows or drag racing events. My mom ended up, you know, turbocharging her van and, and racing with us. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard this story. <laughs> I haven't. I, I That was on my list, man. Yeah. Like, what was it? Mama Devera? Was so that? Her plate was T-R-B-O-M-O-M, Turbo Mom. <laughs> okay, let's get into that. And so everyone knew her as Turbo Mom. <laughs> so my mom started, you know, kind of, she's, she's kind of just a great, you know, your typical Asian mother that loves everyone. And so in high school, I would do my Kosoku meetings at my condo that my mom still lives in now. And we would gather like 25, 30 people. And we'd have a meeting and I was part of the student council. So I ran it kind of in that same way. And then we would go to the car show. And so we, you would always need to set your car up and then you'd need a car to get to the hotel. Mm -hmm. So my mom bought an Odyssey. She ended up being kind of the person that, that took the kids back and forth from Pomona to the hotel or, or um, Del Mar Fairgrounds to the hotel. And then one year, we were like, uh, us, us kids were like, hey, let's throw some wheels on mom's car. So we <laughs> did. So we, we threw like inky RPO1s on it. We put these yellow um, seatbelt pads from Grady, or sorry, pink. <laughs> and then, you know, she would go to battle with us as well, battle wow. the imports. And, and my brother got into it. He had a SW2095 um, MR2. Um, and then my mom woke me up one day and was like, son, what do you think if I turbocharge my car and, and uh, go racing with you? And I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, you know, whatever, 7.30 in the morning. She's like, no, I really want to, you know, I watch you guys and, you know, I, I want to go racing. Uh -huh. And I'm like, we'll talk about this when I get up. And, <laughs> and I did. And I was like, are you serious? And he, she's like, yeah. So we put this small, like, you know, T28 turbo on it, you know got her torque converter done and she was a really consistent bracket racer so we painted the van yellow too because she had turned 50 and so it was kind of like golden you know yeah kind of anniversary so uh, we painted the wheels black with a yellow lip and she ended up being super consistent in like bracket four or whatever it was because it was i taught her how to power brake and build boost and then let the brake off at the second yellow and she would hear like 16 1 16 2 16 1 16 2 16 1 16 2 oh, wow. and she was so consistent <laughs> And it was funny because I had friends who would come up to me and be like, yo, like, I'm so wrecked right now. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I raced your mom and she won. And then she <laughs> wanted to give me a hug after. And I had to hug her like, bro. And it was mostly guys with like Eclipse GSTs with a manual that they're dialing. Just they just wasn't as consistent, you yeah. know. Uh, and so it was hilarious. And, and so my mom became very well known in the industry. Everyone called her Turbo Mom. She was everybody's mom. Aww. Even like the Bergen Holtzes, the, the Wicked guys, the Cyber Racing guy, like you name it, you know. 
Um, and she even had an article in the LA Times. It was called a Turbocharged Obsession. Wow. And uh, another really good friend of mine at that time had an Asian American magazine called Yoke Magazine, and he had these shirts that said "Got Rice." Yeah. Um, it was after like the whole Got Milk thing, and, mm-hmm. and uh, my mom had it on her van. It said "Got Rice," uh-huh. and she would. It, that was the the LA Times article had a p- picture of her at Battle of the Imports with this yeah. Got Rice sticker on. So this is like four foot ten Asian American <laughs> lady. So it was cool, man. Like uh, my mom, you know, she'll still come to SEMA now and just just to say hi to old friends. And but she was great. You know, we'd go to every car show, and by the time the show ended, she'd be a friend with every security guard. And we actually ended up getting a lot of special privileges because my mom would just become friends with everyone. You know, it was really weird. We'd just leave her to her thing, and like we'd always get like prime placement. We didn't wait in line. Like man, mom's got some juice. <laughs> so so did yeah, she, that's did just, she that's bring food? Um, she wasn't the biggest cook, uh, but she took care. I mean, she she organized stuff all the time. Cause so. food is the food's the move. If anybody wants to hook up, just yeah, bring me some food one yeah. day. I got you. Me too, man. I love to <laughs> eat, bro. I love to eat. So yeah, so yeah. I mean, good good times with that. And so how how did this relationship build with you and your mom getting so close that she's involved in your in your hobby and business now yeah my mom i you know god bless her and you know i mean she was just really involved um in my life and my brother's life if my brother was djing she was dropping her off him off Mm -hmm. um if we were having a car show and i had a booth she was coming to help out and my parents unfortunately got divorced when i was 18 and so you know she just you know she was already really close to me and my brother she just decided to become more involved, um, which was great for us, you know, it's to have that, to know yeah, that definitely. we had that support structure. You know, a lot of people kind of rely on their, their husband and their wife in this modern day and age because, and even I mean, even for some of the young kids, though, like some of the YouTube kids and whatnot, that you can tell like some of them, if their parents are really supportive, you know, it kind of takes them to a different level, you know. So for me, that, that is definitely the case. And my mom thoroughly enjoyed like building the relationships with you know my friends who became her friends. I mean, she has, she has me and my brothers are real sons, and she has like hundreds of other sons. That's uh, awesome. Bo- both young and old, and she'll even till this day she'll call them when they're. My mom's kind of very sentimental, so someone will get a f- phone call every year on their birthday, Aww. and then you know my mom will text me, "Hey, did you call you know Sabal? You know John Sabal? Like, oh, it's his birthday today. Like, yeah, yeah I just called him. Like, <laughs> why didn't you call him yet? And I'm like, I don't keep track of those things, you know. But yeah, it's just who my mom is. And I'm just, you know, it's one of those things you just, you know, you, you look upstairs and you thank God that you, you know, that you, that I myself had a, a parent like that who really just decided to be involved, you know, and uh, it's, it's uh, for me, it's just a blessing. Now you've always had this uh, appreciation or is this something that you appreciated later in life? Uh, no, I think I've, I mean, I appreciate it more now for yeah. sure as I've gotten older, but yeah, I think I all, I'm definitely relied on it a lot. There was definitely my mom's really pushy, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like she'll be yeah. like, don't you do that? <laughs> yeah. So there was definitely that part of it. You're like, oh no, you know, too involved. Um, yeah. I and mean, I think when you're young, you, you don't, you don't want your parents as involved because right? yeah. you're doing some stuff. It's like, you shouldn't be telling your parents, right? That's kind of part of growing up. So but no, at the end of the day, I think I was always appreciative that she was there, that she was supportive, um, both, you know, emotionally, kind of financially, yeah. you know, like really trying to help me out and get loans and whatnot, you know, as as the business grew, um, because that was kind of my business for about 10 years, right? So consulting, making parts, um, doing all these different things, so... 
I mean, again, very blessed. Yeah, shout out to her, man. Yeah, she sounds awesome. Yeah. That's really cool, and that's something that I find that's that's pretty rare. I mean, I, at shows, you never see parents, and when you do, I feel a certain way about it, you yeah. know, because I know that this experience is probably more enjoyable to the parents than the than the kid you know i i don't i don't think sometimes that they understand the um what joy the parents would actually get out of seeing their child succeeding in something yeah she's definitely she's still my biggest fan you know yeah um she'll meet someone and be like did you know my son was in the fast and the furious (laughs) yeah well that was like 18 years ago you know but she'll be like but son you know, that, that was a thing. And it's like, yeah, it is. And they're making number nine right now. Right. So yeah, she's, she's, she's been my biggest fan always. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, again, I just feel blessed. So awesome, man. Good for you. Now, now that you said, uh, they're making number nine, yeah. can we just touch on to fast and sure. furious a little more? Sure. So for me personally, one and two were probably the most, um, influential ones to me that kind of hit home and represented the community yeah it's not a car movie anymore yeah so um how do you feel about the way that it went and was there an any uh any other way that you seen would have been a better move to go from a movie perspective no because it's a movie right you know being a fan of the culture you know even number one i thought it was a rad movie but i was disappointed because Mm -hmm. i also like most of the people wanted it to be represented in its true light you know and it, and it wasn't at the end of the day right it was yeah. de- definitely glamorized there were definitely liberties at taken and the producer of the movie who, who was a good friend at the time w- would always tell me like rj we're not making this movie just for you guys right mm. we're making it for the masses and so yes there's going to be some things that are wrong but you're helping us at least make it fairly legitimate in you know, the car progression and some of those things. A great example is, I think in the original script, Paul was in a 3000 GT and then moved to an Eclipse. And then we changed it from he's in an Eclipse and moved to a Supra. You know, things of that nature, right? That people don't really think about where there are a lot of technical mistakes in terms of the terminology and a lot of things that happen, absolutely, right? But that that was just to make the movie a movie. Um, the second one, I didn't really care for as much. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the graphic, I, I, even the first one, I you know, my personal car that was rented at the time was the black S 2000 with Ninja stars. And so I was like, ah, oh, I can't believe they put Ninja stars. On the car, <laughs> you know. And, and at super street, we'd make fun of it. You mean the snowflakes? <laughs> and, oh, uh, this is that car. Yeah, I that thought they car. were snowflakes. Yeah. You know, it's like, so I, it's funny. Like I, I repainted the car before the movie came out because I was just like, Oh, I, I can't, I can't live with like it being known as that car. So I'm a very visual guy. So, you know, the second film, even greater, where the, the, the graphics were so far out there, you know. Um, I sold the S2000 to, back to them, and it became the pink car in the second movie, Devin Aoki's character. So that's Steve Aoki's daughter. Yes. I don't think a lot of or, people Or sorry, know not that. Steve Aoki. Um, sister. Sister. Steve Aoki's sister. sister got yeah. you, got you, got you. So, you know. I mean, I think it just kind of went in its own direction even after the first one. Tokyo Drift to me was the... That one was awesome too. It was, I really liked it that It was one. the most core. It's probably from an acting perspective what people didn't like the most. Um, but, you know, that was when Drift was getting really big and a lot of friends were doing the stunts for it, whether it was Dai or Reese or Sam. Um, but it was it was cool because it, it touched more in like Tokyo culture and included Veilside and... The Drift King had a you know a cameo in that film, and 
you know, the Skyline Mustang was always controversial, which is kind of cool. But, the, you know, the cars got a little bit cleaner, certain ones. Yeah. You know? So do you need to fix something? No, no. I'm trying to find um, the exact name. So what what I wanted to touch mm-hmm. on is, do you know the um, – God. You know, things never work when you yeah. expect them to work. Our, our signal here really is really bad. So sorry about that. No what are, worries. What are you trying to find? The story for Fast and the Furious – Mm-hmm. was uh, from my understanding was based on a true story mm-hmm. from um the new york street race area are you familiar with this story yeah so i've i've you know i've heard i've actually read about that recently um i originally thought i know it was based on a newspaper article yes about street racing yes from my recollection i thought it was an la times article uh-huh. that was written by a guy named ken I've read recently that it's from this New York Times article. I don't know how I got that cross, but and maybe I'm thinking of a different movie. But it is it, basically, I think it was Rob or Neil Moritz. Neil Moritz was the producer. Okay. Rob Cohen was the director. They had read this article and they were like, "We got to do a movie based on this." Is was from what I recall being told to me. Um, and then Paul Walker had always wanted to be in kind of be a cop. Like he had, he wanted to play a role of a cop. And I think him and Rob had just done Varsity Blues. And so somehow it came together. We're like, we're going to do a movie about you being an undercover cop in this world of street racing. And really, it's going to be like Point Break, but with cars. At the end of the day, if you remember Point Break, it was this. Yeah, it's pretty much the same exact movie. Yes, with different things. Yeah. So, So, you know, from what I understand, yes, it is based on a newspaper article that was about street racing. Um, and that's as much as I really, really know. Got you. So, so what it, what it actually was, was, um, vibe magazine. Okay. So vibe magazine did an article on it mm-hmm. from some street racers in, um, in New York. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it was a DRT racing and, okay. um, you know, his name slips my mind okay. right now, but one of his good friends is, uh, Javier Ortega. Okay. So, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Javier. Mm-hmm. Um, he used to work with NHRA back in the day. Oh, you know what? Yes. That so, name rings a bell. Yes. So, um, I, I, I love this kind of history because right. like I said, we really don't have any history to look back. Right. And if, if we do, it's something that we have to search for. Right. You know, right. Right. But, um, DRT racing, they're still around to this day. Wow. And, um, Javier Ortega is actually the um the the owner and organizer of OGS 1320 which okay. runs H Day. Ah, uh, okay. Over yeah. at English Town, right? Uh well, it's not at English Town Dang. anymore. Okay. Um they actually do a few uh, a few different locations. Oh, wow. One that we just got back from is a uh, MIR in Maryland. Wow. Yeah, but uh, it's crazy how like I say just everything yeah. comes full circle. And uh, I, I really want to hear that side of the story. but For sure. That'd be really interesting. There's some guys on the East Coast, like Vinny Ten, Craig Paisley, Ortega, mm-hmm. a lot of the Puerto Rican guys that would run at ATCO and, and, yeah. and, and English Town. Um, that'd be really rad. But, you know, coming back to the movie, you know, after three, it really became more of about the characters right mm-hmm. you know when vin came back and i think that was the mexico movie and they had to do like some run in the tunnels and yeah, yeah so yeah, i think yeah. that it, it is still they still incorporate cars into the movie right Even yeah hobbs and shaw they had this thing in hawaii which was in, supposedly in sonoma and they had these weird i don't even know what to call those cars but 
you know, and they had the McLaren in the beginning and all that. So the, it's still rooted in this idea of speed, um, but it's evolved so differently. It's it's more of like a Mission Impossible, yeah. born identity, you know, Italian job kind of heist movie almost for a little while for four, five, six, and then it became they became good guys who were like super agents in a way. So it's kind of just far removed from from what kind of the the first two or three were there's always that opening sequence there's so some sort of race right? yeah <laughs> even in seven yeah. and i think in eight they even had that where they they were racing in cuba or whatever probably racing tanks or something <laughs> yeah so i think they still try, try to really keep that essence but it's it's not what it was you know and, and i think it had to evolve right yeah and so it's really it's really about the characters and everyone that's grown up i mean you know you're talking 18 years right so you could have been five and now you're, you know, 20 something mm-hmm. years old and you grew up with, you know, Vin and Paul and, you know, Luda and, you know, Jordana Brewster and everyone that was in that movie, right? That's like, man, that's a long time. So it's almost like a, a crazy sitcom that's been on forever, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's cool. I mean, it's cool to see that they're they're still making it. It's definitely not what it used to be. Um, you know, I just, I saw Hobbs and Shaw, which is a spinoff. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they get crazier and crazier, like, and then they do well globally, but, you know, some of it gets cheesier and cheesier too, right? The explosions get bigger, the stunts get crazier. So you're just like, wow, that's a little too crazy. But, you know, I mean, it's it, to to be, to have had a part, a really, really small part in all of that, there's definitely a sense of pride. You yeah, know? definitely, man. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it's it's. I don't want to call it legacy, but it's just a it's just a memory that's really cool to have had a hand in, in in helping that you know kick that franchise off, and then you know even more personally having a role in the film and then having a few cars in those films and and helping s- style from a accessory perspective those first cars you know the certain kits and the certain wheels and whatnot. I mean I'm a I'm a huge wheel guy mm-hmm. like I love wheels. Uh, my first and second car probably went to like ten sets of wheels. Yeah. And I have I even had my own wheel line for about seven years called Roja Motorsports, mm-hmm. and so I just love wheels in general. Um, and so you know, like to have to have had that moment one to help choose some of that for the first movie, and then have Motegi Racing, which is a brand that I helped create, and then Roja Motorsports be in that second film. You know, kind of immortalized, you know, forever really in a way. Yeah, that just doesn't happen every day, right? So, you know, for me, I look back on those things and I look back really fondly, Yeah, you know, and have really great memories and, like, things that I've done within automotive space, whether it's the movie or the wheel line or, you know, I had my own die-cast toy. I worked on Forza Motorsport. All these little things. It's like, man, that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, no, definitely, man. And and that's why I really wanted to talk to you about this stuff and Mm -hmm. and the history of it, because I know that you had a really big part in it. So I want I want you to kind of paint the picture of after the movie. Mm -hmm. um, What did that do for you personally? Um, How did that make you feel? And how did that how did that make you um, how did that make the community change, evolve, grow? So definitely the movie was you know, a match that ignited this crazy fire, right? So there are people that loved and hated the movie, you know? Street racing basically got shut down. Really? <laughs> right? Pretty much because cops were just everywhere um, because that brought so much light to that that underground hmm. side of it, you know? And, and, and you know, like when the, the first week the movie came out, I was, I was doing all these satellite radio kind of interviews and, 
you know, the studio had me basically taking USA Today and LA Times and New York Times all to the to the Ontario races to see what it was like. Oh, um, you know, and, and you, you kind of feel bad. At the same time, I was already part of a movement that was trying to move those kids off the street into, you know, yes. we talked about ATCO. We talked uh-huh. about, you know, these different drag racing circuits. And there were all these import drag racing events. It's like, don't don't go do it at a drag strip now. And so, you know. We were a lot of the racers were part of something called Racer, race, uh, Racers Against Street Racing, that okay. was started by Honda, you know. And and so we we were all guys that kind of came from that side saying, you, you now have a different opportunity to do this, do it safe, do it legally. We didn't have that opportunity growing up, you know. Um, and, and so you know, you kind of felt bad though, because there was a lot of people blaming you for kind of killing that, but at the same time, like there was so much attention on like, wow, this movement. It's like way bigger than what anyone thought. And so for me, it really changed my life because then I became a consultant for a ton of different companies who really wanted to be involved in this, let's call it youth car movement, right? So I was a consultant um, helping with people's sponsorships or their activation or product development. So Pepsi was a client for five years. Mm -hmm. Valvoline was a client for seven years. And I worked on all these really cool projects. The MTV project came from that, you know? And it became like, Hey, if you want to be involved in that space, there's a few, there's a few people you can talk to, and I would be one of those people. Yeah. So I would get these random calls, like the Pepsi call was like, "Hey, I'm so and so from this agency." Um, okay, I'm like, "Yeah, so how can I help you?" And like, "Well, we represent Pepsi, and Pepsi wants to get involved in the space." Wow. We heard you you worked on this film, and we really love to talk to you about a couple ideas. And I'm like, "All right, cool. Like, well, what do you want to know?" Like, well. Could you help us figure out like what what we should do? We're really thinking about this series. I'm like, great, yes, sign on with that, you know. And I would help build out their execution. Like we we had b boy battles. We I ended up creating a relationship with Mitsubishi and Pepsi where we gave away Lancer Evos. Uh, we gave away four of them actually, and then one was a like this crazy show car. And so that was just became my life. So I was I was doing kind of all these things and doing deals. And and part of it was I really loved. I don't want to say building cars because I wasn't really, you know, I got good enough to put headers on and all that stuff. But at a certain point, I became more of a stylist Mm -hmm. and I would quote unquote build cars, but I would really choose everything that would go onto it and work on it a little, but shops would carry it out. But, you know, in in any given year, I, I would do about six to eight cars for different companies. So that was really fun for me because I could never afford to do all these different yeah. cars. But I always had this yearning, like if I did a 350Z, how would I do it? If I did a WRX, how would I do it? If I did an Evo, how mm-hmm. would I do it? I was pretty much still a Honda guy. So I had NSX, I had S2000. Um, I became a guy that built a lot of PR cars for Honda. So I did TL and CL and you name it, right? But on the side, I always I always had this fascination of like doing other cars as well that weren't Hondas. And so for about 10 years, that was my life. And so it, the movie had a huge impact. You know, it really opened doors for me to be a consultant for all, all of these companies, both big and small. You know, I worked with OEMs as well, building a lot of, you know, kind of corporate image vehicles, PR vehicles. We gave a lot of cars away. Um, I did a a Ford, like this weird uh, mashup for a Mustang that was part Veilside, part Vogue Racing, part Roush. We did a WRX for them as well that I did with Excess Engineering. Um, there are quite a few. You know, I did some stuff with Boost Mobile, the phone company with Mazda. We wow. Did, we gave out an RX-8 that if you're a graffiti fan, Retina had done some graffiti before Retina was Retina. Uh-huh. 
uh, which is really cool. Um, and that was also Volk Racing in Valeside. And then we did another car, like a Mazda 3, I think, with them. So, you know, that movie really was the, the catalyst for me being to live that stage of my life. Yeah. So, you know, to really travel the world, to build like really cool cars that I would have never really built, to have had the opportunity to give these cars away to other people and and not make it about me. Um, and then to just work on projects that, you know, I mean, Forza, I did a PR thing for them for Forza 1. I helped recommend wheels and special cars in 2 and 3. And now, you know, they're like, I don't know if they're like 7 mm-hmm. in Horizon. Like, you know, that's kind of for me, I'm very blessed to have had those experiences like the Fast and Furious franchise, like the Forza franchise. My part of it was super tiny. But just to, to for me to have that feeling like, wow, I was able to contribute to that is really cool. And a lot of that came from the movie, you know, yeah. the movie being what it was. Um, of course, I've always been a guy, again, that's always learning, always wants to be involved, always wants to push things to like the next level. And so that kind of was really good for me from a professional side because that was just wasn't, I had a lot of ideas and luckily there were decent ideas that would turn out to be really cool things, you know. Um, so, you know, like those are, those are things I'll, I'll always remember, yeah. you know, um, and a lot of it's having these clients with some pretty deep pockets. you got to do some really cool stuff. Um, you know, there's one with Valvoline where when Drift was getting big, we did this thing called Drifting 101 with Keiichi Tsuchiya, who's the Drift King, right? Um, and he was just oddly sponsored by Valvoline in Japan. And my brand manager was like, hey, I, I need to get a, a oil coupon in everyone's hands and I don't need I don't want it to end up on the floor. Mm-hmm. This is during the Hot, Hot Import Night series in um, probably 2003 or four. D1 had just come to the US and done like an invitational D1 competition and drifting was like really taking off. And I was like, hey, do you know that you sponsor this guy in Japan who races in JGTC, but he's the guy known for like, he's the founder of D1, one of the founders, and he's called the Drift King. And he's like, no, I didn't know that. And he's like, and he made this old video back in like the 90s with this Hachiroku, let's make a new version. And so we had Kazama's uh, Green K-Office S15 here for a D1 competition. And we ended up hiring Kichi Tsuchiya and the guys from Hot Version to do basically film this new version of Drifting 101, which, which we made like, 200,000 copies and we gave out like through the year but I was a part of that and I was the host of that I helped put the whole deal together with um, Taro who was from Best Motoring and then met Suchia who had kind of met but like became good friends with him for a little while when when I would be in Japan he'd be like oh come come hang out you know and I'd end up at this wine bar that you needed a key to and it was all the race car drivers in Japan that drove JGTC and it's like oh that's so and so that drives for Toyota and that's so and so that drives for Nissan and he drove for for a Honda and the NSX and that was like mind blown right yeah. and so okay everybody we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors and we'll be back in 1 minute Yo, what's up, fool? Make sure you check out Downstar for all of your dress-up needs. 
get it popping over here we have all the kits for the k series the b series the transmission the mouse the engine the total baby we have the hardware for the seats for the stereo we got it for the speakers we got it for the lug nuts we got it for the air valves we got it for everything dog so you make sure you hit us up at downstarring.com or you call us up fool you can even text us lame 818-937-3472 just shoot us a text and tell us what's up dog i need some fucking balls in this bitch hit us up downstarring.com hey and if you got an instagram slide in our fucking dm at downstar wait hit up the homie frank underscore downstar he's the one that takes care of all the dms hit that level up and shoot him a message and he'll get you all taken care of real nicely you know again it goes back to this like wow that all came from me kind of one being involved in this movie which came from me really being involved in japanese car culture right so to me everything's a progression and a step and it's just how you take this ball that's given to you and how far do you run with it, yeah, right? Yeah. So, you know, of course you've got to get, you know, lucky too. Like I, there was definitely moments in my life where I got really lucky and then at the same time I worked really hard, right? So to me, like you kind of you have to do both if, you're, if you want to be, let's call it successful, however, which way you define success. Um, and so you know, you know, man, yeah, some great, me- some really great memories. How much do you, um, how much weight do you put on uh, networking to get you into all of these positions? Oh man, like you have to network. I mean, it is, it is to me, it's a must. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and maybe, and it's networking for the right reason, though. You know, like I think you need to go out there because, you know, um, the part in like. One great mind is one thing, but multiple great minds like account for so much more. And there's a saying that says all ships rise in a rising tide, right? Mm-hmm. So I firmly believe in that. And the way you can get that tide rise is to build your network up. You know, hopefully you're not networking for the wrong reasons though, where it's just about you and you're trying to take advantage of people because that's the wrong type of networking. Mm-hmm. And most of the guys that do that, they don't last very long because in a small industry, everyone starts to figure out like that guy or that girl is only, they're only in it for themselves. Yeah. And they might have a short run of success, but if you're going to last anywhere for 10 years, 15, 20 years, you're not going to last. Yeah. Right. So, you know, like networking is a great way to one, be exposed to other ideas two to progress yourself and three to find other people just, that you want you know to do cool things with right to movements don't happen from one person right there's there's definitely people that help push movements or create movements but for a movement to really go forward you need a bunch of people to really believe in it right so you're always going to have a core group of people but it takes like the whole community right to really push it forward and to me like that's the whole point of networking right is to build a community you know or even like a circle of friends that you can really that one will push you hopefully and that you can push and 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 then of course that you can experience it with because you know if you can't experience it with other people then you know why are you doing it yeah you know? no, um, in, definitely. in a way so you know i mean it doesn't have to be always about other people it also has to be about you but i think networking you know long story not long answer to your question is super important no i'm really big into networking um i I like to just hear other people's stories Mm -hmm. their ideas and if there's any way that i can help them get to that goal you know i doesn't bother me to do it yeah yeah, yeah. one one, uh 
one problem that I do find with networking is say if there is somebody that you want to work with, uh, kind of breaking that wall down because there is so many people out there trying to network for the wrong reasons. And so what would be sort of a a tip or something that you've learned to kind of break down those walls to show somebody that your, uh, that your ideas or, um, intentions are genuine? I think two things. I think one, you know, hopefully you're just genuine, you know, I think transparency and being genuine can't fake that. It's Mm -hmm. really hard. And two, I think people just need a lot more patience too. you know, a lot of, a lot of people that I mentor or even younger people that I meet, they want it to happen tomorrow. And for sure, like the digital world, the social world has, has accelerated that even more. But even in the 90s, my, my friends and I, we had this joke called the, the be the man syndrome. Like, I want to be the man today mm. without paying your dues. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and we had another thing called the 95 five, you know, like 95 percent of the people don't really want to do what the 5 percent really do um, or, 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 you know, willing to do. Right. So. A lot of it is just patience, right? If you, you know, you hear so many stories of guy that had to try 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times. That's really the, the key is to, is to never kind of, you know, give up on the dream. You have to be also be a realistic and, and make pivots and adjustments if something's not working out, you know, and sometimes you come back to an idea that didn't work 10 years ago or five years ago, but you did something else to build yourself up to get to that or, or whatnot. So I think, you know, patience is really important. Um, and if you show people that you have patience, I think, you know, those people at some point co- turn around, come around because they're like, this guy's for real. It's just not about today, tomorrow and, and what they can get, get out of it in the short term. Yeah. It's about the long term, especially with, with people that have been, you know, in some sort of field for such a long time, because those are the guys are, or girls that are more closely guarded and they want to know that the intentions are real, you know, um, and so for me, you know, for, from a networking perspective, it's that. And then it's also, you know, under promise, over deliver. There's so many people coming at people. I can do this. I can do this. Yeah. You know, let, let your, I always tell people I mentor, let your work speak for your, itself. Don't worry about telling people like what you did do or, you know, unless you get asked. If you mm-hmm. get asked and you, and you got to sell, yeah, you know, sell them because you've got a service to sell. But, you know, for me, the, the biggest thing is when other people kind of vouch for you. Yeah. For most people that you're trying to network with, if you've if you've heard the name a number of times, you're like, yo, that guy's doing something right and they're legit, right? We say that all the time. That yeah. person's legit, you know? And so if you've been around long long enough and you've given yourself enough time and you put you focus on the work, your legitimacy and your credibility shines through. So I you know, for me it's it's having that patience to let that happen. And a lot of people, you know, even in, in the 90s and th- 2000s and even more so today, I find more and more people without that patience. Yeah. So um, working with uh, Maguire's, mm-hmm. how much involvement do you have with the uh, the marketing that goes on and the uh, the sort of influencers and things like that. And if you can kind of touch on um, like the newer generation sure. of car builders and sort of like the, the YouTube scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a big part of the marketing team here, you know. Um, so I, I do have a lot of uh, involvement with, you know, the, the, the things that we're doing with influencers. You know, the way we look at influencers, it's not the most – traditional way that current people look at influencers. A lot of people say influencers and instantly it's like YouTube, Instagram. 
And so, yes, we do have some programs with some of the guys in that space that I help pioneer here at the company. Someone else runs it. My coworker, Tony, runs it. But I'm still very involved in, you know, the, the people that we're getting involved with, what the execution is. So the two that we've worked with on the social space the most is TJ Hunt mm-hmm. um, and Chris Fix. Uh, for different reasons. So Chris Fick's more of a DIY guy, how I do something, you never see his face. Mm-hmm. Um, and TJ, of course, is more of a YouTube personality. You know, we did a whole thing with his BRZ, yeah. Miley, and it, it's there's a there's a, there's a a livery on it based on one of our items Yeah, um, that was actually designed by John Sabal. And then we did a lot of, you know, um, commemorative items that you could get if you were in line, like the first 50, the first 100. And so that's, I was a very big part of creating very cool that program Um influencer to us is also people that aren't people. So it's to me, Super Street's an influencer, right? They have 3 million followers on Instagram. They have 3 million followers on Facebook. So we have a relationship with them. With the Ultimate Award, we do something with Car Throttle. So, so, so to us, it's a little bit different how we look at influencers. To us, it's just any entity or person with influence. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, so we've actually been doing things with Super Street or Car Throttle for four or five years. We just evolved kind of this this idea of like sponsored content um, or, you know, um, influencer programs to the social space. So, you know, I have a lot to bring to that side because I was kind of one of those before there was YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of, you know, the things that we've talked to with influencers, some of which have come from my experience, being a Pepsi ambassador, being a Valvoline ambassador, being a Boost Mobile ambassador and what my deals were like. And so it's been really cool to work with these guys to be like, yo, what's your goal? How can we help you? How can we create a collaboration that's authentic and and not us just giving you money? Yeah. And so that's kind of all the relationships that we're looking to create, you know, with the current crop that we have now and then even moving forward. So last year, SEMA, we had a, a really big kind of test initiative where we worked with five or six different influencers, TJ being one of them at the time. Um, you know, we had Sabal who, who did some, pretty cool like car art we had uh doug from notable rides the, he did live art in their booth we had amelia um i can't remember who else was part of it all but you know we do these tests to kind of learn like who's your audience how do we get integrated and involved and how do we just do cool things together you know how, and how do we help you be more successful at the same token as a brand we we need to get our exposure um in, in, in hopefully the right way, yeah, you know, because we're we are in it for the long term. Most of our relationships, if you look at our event marketing side, we've been to every SEMA show since the very first one. We've been the sponsor of Concorde Elegance for twenty plus years. We've been the sponsor of the Detroit Autorama for fifteen plus years. So, you know, for us as a company, what, one of the things that I love is we look f- really to build long term relationships. And so we're really not looking for the most popular guy or, or or girl or entity. It's just it's is it the right person? Do they embody the right things? Um, and we work with big and small. So we work with Throttle is a great one. That, yeah, that's kind of new and up and yeah, coming. Yeah, shout out to and, Throttle. You know, to Mickey and Evan mm-hmm. and everyone there. You know, and Mickey and our old friends, right? He's really, from, from, from the Falcon days. So. Mick, uh, Small story, uh, Mickey's one of the guys that I reached out to for uh, questions to ask you. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, I, uh, he's a cool cat, man. Yeah, Mickey's great. We have, we've had him on the podcast okay. before. I he's love Mickey, He's got a man. great history, too. Definitely. You know? and, and like you said, you'll find all these people. And it's funny, everyone would have crossed paths. If you've been in this Japanese tuning import scene for 15 years, you cross paths with everyone else. Yeah. At some at some point, whether through drifting or car shows or drag racing 
or the magazine or something, you're like, oh, I know that guy. Like, like Mika and I went to Japan together. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, we did an Ocelon together. When and, was this? Oh, God. This is when him and Courtney actually started basically dating. So oh, From Falcon. From Falcon, yeah. Uh, this is yeah, probably, probably like 2004, 2004 or something around there. 2004 to 6. Got you, got you, know, you Well, got you. I can't remember if Dai was already driving for them or not. <sighs> That's history, man. That's history, There's yeah. a lot of history. Yeah, yeah. Too. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pretty well entrenched in the drifting world, too, because Dai Yoshihara was what ended up becoming my roommate, but Dai and one of my really good friends, Jerry Sai, who, who owned I Love Racing, basically, you know, owned the the pack rim rockstar drift team for a couple of years. And mm-hmm. we bought Tanaguchi's S15 for die to drive. And so I got really involved in the whole drift space because of that and became friends with everyone that that's in the drift world right now. And, you know, met all the drift Alliance boys really early on. And, and so it's, it's funny. I have this really weird history where I've kind of dabbled in all sides of, you know, whether it's Honda culture or like import drag racing or car shows or drifting, it's I'm this weird constant that's been through it all, and it's kind of like that is really crazy, you know. That's awesome, yeah. Man. And even some of the like, like the Tokyo Auto Salon stuff, and some of the stories that I have going to Auto Salon as a representative of Super Street and helping Signal Auto or B Racing or Top Fuel tell their story, you know, um, and and to have been a part of that. It hasn't been my life for the last ten years, so I'm a little bit out of the loop. Um, you know, I, of course I, you know, I see Joey and I see Ryan and, and they're kind of like really the, and you now, mm-hmm. like really the, 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 the new faces that's really sharing everyone's story. Yeah. Um, you know, I still try to get to as many events as I can. I, I'm, I'm just not as entrenched as I used to be. Um, so it's fun. It's fun to kind of see everyone kind of, you know, I, I really love what Joey's doing and the Chronicles Definitely. And, and the book. And, oh Yeah. You know, um that's really cool i think it's really needed you know um and and someone to carry that torch on to continue you know one sharing the story and then being involved and and pushing it forward yeah i was actually speaking to joey last Mm -hmm. night um he put a post up about how he would if people would be interested in going to sort of like an art gallery if he threw that and i said dude you need to do something like that man i i think in our import community we don't think of ourselves as big as we should Mm -hmm. and could be um, and this kind of brings me to my next topic. Um, nowadays, I really feel like the import community is is more on the, uh, I don't want to downplay it as like a mom and pop, but it's kind of like um, not really corporate. And okay. me being into the community from 2000, just knowing of the community, 2007, right. and then starting my business in 2009, anything that happened before that, I have no idea. Right. Except from old pictures or mm-hmm. things that I would look at, old videos. And you would see uh, um, a Nopi or Hot Import yep. Nights, and you see it sponsored by Monster, Kicker, what have right. you, Valvoline, and all these big companies. Huh? When did you see a change of these big corporations pulling out sure or um and do you think that there's a possibility or if even there's a need for that corporate um support support to come back into it so and like everything in life everything comes in, in circles right so in the beginning when we started there were no sponsors right you went to import show off no sponsors you know i think the very first one was nitto tire actually you know so actually my very first sponsor was nitto tire mm-hmm. i was so happy to put free tires on on a car <laughs> that I'd spent like 20 grand. I could have played it off my GSR and I was putting these tires <laughs> on. But then it, it after the movie is when it really blew up, 
right? So the movie Hot Import Nights was a national series, Dodge sponsored, Pepsi sponsored, Valvoline sponsored. And then probably around 05, 06, it started to really slow down and people started to pull out. Gotcha. You know, the recession was coming fast and furiously, no pun intended. <laughs> um, and, and even the movie wasn't, was it, wasn't what it was, right? You know, there was unfortunately part of the cause and effect of the movie is, you know, fixing up your car became passe. Every, you could go to Pep Boys and get a rattle can exhaust and an aluminum wing. Yeah. And it, it just wasn't cool anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that band that was cool in the underground and then it hit the mainstream and everyone's got their gear and now they're just too big. Yeah. And so it contracts, right? It expands. It expanded like crazy, crazy, crazy. And then it contracted part, mainly because of the recession. Gotcha. You know, and, and, and what's more important, fixing up your car, putting food in the table. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Putting food in the table. So, and, and then also generationally people were progressing in life. Right. You know, you didn't you didn't want to have this ultra loud, ultra crazy, wide bodied car. And so I'd say from like 08 to 2012, Mm -hmm. there was a huge contraction, even in the styling of cars. It's, you know, from from like 13, 14 to now, it feels like it was what it was back then. Yeah. In terms of wide body kit. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know. It was funny. There was one scene. It's like it was like the Rocket Bunny show, everyone, or, or Liberty Walk, right? Everyone had that. It seems like it's been like that for the last four five, years. Four, five years, you <laughs> yeah. know. But in my era, there was a there was a moment where everyone went feels wide body, uh-huh. right? And that was kind of like everyone did the feels wide body, um, and so I think it kind of kind of comes and goes. So because of the contraction, a lot of shows went out of business. And so it became more underground about car meets and the Nisei show, which was very small, right? And so. You know, there's there's shows like Tuner Evolution and Whack and that that are starting to to grow again, nowhere to what it was back in the early two thousands, um, and even Hot and Burn Nights, right? They're, yeah, I think Munar is doing it again, and and so you know, the 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 corporate support is good when you want to just throw better shows gotcha. because it costs money to do a stage and it costs money to be in a convention center like McCormick or L.A. You know, you can only do that once or twice on your own dime. You're like, this isn't worth it Mm -hmm. because you're just going to lose money. So are the corporate sponsors super important? No. Um, Are they important if someone wants to progress their event? Yes, because you need money to do cool stuff, right? That's just the kind of the reality. Um, But it's what you do with that money too. Like WEC WEC doesn't have any big sponsors. They don't want, and it doesn't feel like they want any Mm because they want to keep it what it is which is totally cool and it should stay that, you know, if, if that's what they want it to be. But like anything in life, like people want more and they want more and they want more and then it gets to be too much and they want less and then they want yeah. less and they want less. So, you know, f- for us as a brand, we, we try to, again, you know, find those right partnerships, you know. Um, AutoCon was one of the shows that we really loved supporting because it was more about the builds and the stage and giving back more to the attendee, right? And so, you know, I think for certain guys, like you're gonna, you're, you know, you're gonna need some of that. Let's call it corporate. How you know, corporate can be big or small, right? There, there's a difference between like Pepsi to a tire company to, you know, even a Meguiar's or something like that. Yeah. Or, you know, so um, there's there's different levels. You know, so you just have to find, okay, well, what do I really need to produce a good event? Um, how am I gonna find that? Right. Partly through family loan, partly through sponsorship, you know, through the gate, what, what is that? So, you know, I think it's important that you, you we're able to sustain these, these events like formula is a great example, you know, um, so people can have careers and, 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 and 
you know, these are the things that inspire the next generation, right? When they watch their heroes go tandem drift, um, if they see a crazy show car at some show that's that becomes their poster, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, the you got to keep inspiring people. And, and part of it is, you know, with digital has changed, but part of it's still the real life experience of seeing it in the flesh. Right. And so a lot of times you'll see things on digital. And then by the time you get to actually seeing it in person, you're just like, this is this is what I've been waiting for this whole time. So, so with the uh, the events that go on now, mm-hmm. and you've been around to see like what would be in my eyes like the the golden era mm-hmm. of events. What do you think would um, help the experience be that of the past? Um, and what I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, you say the the community extracts uh, um, expands and uh-huh. contracts. What do you foresee it um, being in the future, in the near future? Well, the great part is there's there's a whole new generation coming, both millennials and Gen Z, that are, from a population perspective, just extremely large, mm-hmm. right? You know, you're talking 100 million millennials, over 100 million Gen Z that is kind of coming of this age of where they could own a car, right? And, of course, there's a lot of studies that say not as many of them are interested in cars, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah, I think from a percentage perspective, that's the truth. Um, but the, the the number of people is so large that even though it's a smaller percent, it's still a lot of people. But I think, you know, automotive is changing. One of the things that I've seen over the last 10, 15 years is there's more and more segments. You know, it's not just Japanese imports. It's like, are you into WRXs mm-hmm. or Evos or 90s? Honda or, or the domestic scene or now. domestic or even Euro. So I feel like the scene's getting bigger, but it's also getting segmented all more and uh-huh. more. And so it doesn't it, within a segment, it doesn't feel that way, but the overall it is because there's now there's a Porsche air cooled movement. Now there's a, gotcha. you know, a BMW E46 M3 movement mm-hmm. or a classic Mercedes Benz wagon movement or a, you know, 93 Integra move, you know, so, so I think in the future, I think the idea that your car can still be an extension of your personality isn't going to go away, okay. even if it's an autonomous or electric car. What you do with it from a performance perspective might change um, drastically, right? Especially if it's autonomous. But in terms of personalization, I think that's always going to be a thing, you know, um, because I think it's human nature to want to personalize you know, your own thing and, and have it kind of resemble who you are. Um, if the car is owned through shared, right, there's all these new models about like who's going to own the car. That's going to change things quite a bit. Um, but I think at some point in time, you're going to want to own your own car, right? Because you're going to have a family or whatever the case may be. And I, so I, I don't think that's ever going to go away. It's just when, like when, you know, there's always, there's all these people saying, oh, kids aren't into cars anymore. Like they're not when they're 16, but did you talk to them when they're 28? when they're middle management and now, you know, they can afford nicer things. And, you know, now it's, there's a statement that they're trying to make or whatever the case may be, or they just, you know, can get something that they've never been able to afford before priorities change. So I think the timing of things is changing. So I think there's always going to be people that are into the automobile, whatever the automobile is and into, let's call it personalizing it. So I think that's the future of, of the scene is, the cars are going to change much like you and I are doing what hot rodders were doing, except we're doing it with Honda. We were doing it with Hondas, right? So 
I think that's it's funny we're gonna be the old people like oh you know these electric cars <laughs> you know yeah. and we're gonna be talking shit on electric cars because yeah. <laughs> we grew up on Hondas right much like muscle car guys were like oh those backwards race cars with those four cylinder <laughs> engines like, yeah you know little 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 rice rockets quote unquote <laughs> you know and now I find like my friends and I not everyone but a lot of them like. We hate on electric cars much like <laughs> the old, the hot rod dudes hate it on Japanese imports. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious, but I think that's what's going to happen, you know. Um, I do think that the new enthusiast, though, is much more global in thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a kid that we're just starting to work with. His name is Jack uh, Ultramotive, I think is his, his YouTube name. He was a gamer, right? Mm-hmm. He started and he played Forza and he played Gran Turismo. And uh, he got pretty big like four or five years ago, and now he's 18. So at 16, he bought a Ford Focus RS. At 17, he bought an R32 GTR. And at 18, he just bought an R8. Wow. Right? He's doing well. He's a YouTube, uh-huh. you know, um, let's call it star. Um, very humble kid. He's from the Northwest. Super into cars, right? But it, just look at that progression, right? Yeah. It, it, you know, eight, I met him last year at SEMA, I think. He was 17. He just bought the R32. And I was like, you bought a what? Yeah. And I'm like, how old are you? And he's like, 17. I'm like, man. <laughs> I was 17 with a GTR, <laughs> damn. Um, and that's just, you know, that's this generation being lucky that Google decided to do ad share revenue, yeah. right? You look at all the guys on YouTube and they're killing it. I mean, it's a lot, a lot of work, uh-huh. right? You know, kudos to them for, you know, filming and editing. I mean, you know, you, you yeah. record and edit. I mean, this is does not happen overnight. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that he, he chose three different genres. Where you and I probably would have chose, you probably would have gone all muscle car for the for yeah, that moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I would have gone, you know, the way I did, like Integra, NSX, MR, MR2 Spider, S2000, like in the same genre. Yeah. But now because of gaming, because of the internet and the world being so global, a cool car is a cool car. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be a Ford Focus RS. It could be a classic like a R32 GTR. It could be a more modern day exotic, like an R8. I mean, you know, I, every time I, I talk to this kid, I'm like, man, that's rad. Like, you know, Hell I was yeah. at Pebble Beach with him and his crew of friends who are all photographers and they're all like 18 or 19. And we walked up to this, I think it was an Alfa Romeo, a Zagato Alfa Romeo, super rare car, right? And, and, and so they're like, oh my God. And they're like, this car. And they were like, they were just all hyped about it. And I was like, how do you 19 year old kids know about this like 60s, super limited Zagato Alfa Romeo. And they're like, oh, it was on Forza Horizon. It was the fastest car in the game. It was somehow, it was like, it was a bug. Oh, wow. And I was like, and it kind of blew my mind because for our, a lot of my generation, people got to know Mugan and Spoon Sports and Roof because they were playing Gran Turismo. Mm-hmm. And that kind of opened up their world, right? And so it's happening again, but at a much greater pace because you can play CSR racing on your phone and Forza Horizon and Forza Motorsports and Gran Turismo and all the video game Need, uh, need for Speed, and, and there's now a group of kids that like they know every car and every spec because they play the games and they know which one's fastest and you can walk around the car and you can open the door and and so to me it's just like accelerating so much. I used to pick up option magazines and yeah. flip the you know page and now you're just like, oh no, I walked around every new car in in the game and I know exactly what it puts out and you know how it performs and to me it's just mind-blowing man it's like it's accelerating at such a quick pace and it's it's actually super exciting 
Yeah. You know? No, definitely, man. I love to see these young kids, especially these YouTube stars, just uh, hustling, man. Because yeah. at the end of the day, uh, before anything, I'm a hustler. Yes. And I can definitely recognize that. And there's a lot of uh, older enthusiasts that would see that and they just downplay it. Yeah. And I, I think that that's real unfortunate, not for the YouTuber, but for the old enthusiasts yes. because they, um, they're stunting their growth. Yes and no. I mean, you know, it's funny. I always relate it to this thing. Like we're, we are, uh, I'm, I'm in my forties, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm becoming like the grumpy old man. <laughs> you know? And even the, the the guys that we're working with on YouTube, I don't know who the hell they were. Uh-huh. You know, I, I saw this mega huge line that I'd never seen in long. Like I was like, this is like import model line yeah, from yeah, like yeah. 2004. Like, and I I remember literally walking over to the this line. I'm like, hey, what do you? What are you kids in line for? I thought they were giving something out for free. And they're like, well, if we're lucky, we might buy something. Like, what are you buying? And they're like, oh, well, you know, TJ Hunt is here. And I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, I'm sorry, who's TJ Hunt? And they looked at me like kind of perplexed. And I was like, you know, the YouTube star. And I'm not a huge YouTube because, you know, I was, I'm an 80s, 90s yeah, yeah, kid, yeah. right? Yeah, so definitely. I still watch TV. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't really watch YouTube. And I swear they looked at me like, like hell had frozen over, you know, like, have you been living under a rock for the last 10 years? And I was like, apparently so, you know, this is like four or five years ago. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's natural to look at the thing that you're not used to and discount it is what I'm trying to get to, you know? And even for me, it's not that I really discounted YouTube stars or celebrities. I just didn't really watch any of it. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, now that I've gotten to know a couple of them and, and see what, you know how they've built their business up and how they're trying to kind of take it to the next level for themselves it's it's very similar to me in the 90s or mm-hmm. the 2000s or staff or just any using of their guys. tools that they have it's just they're using the tools of today you know and, and the tools of today pay back way more than the tools that we had in the 90s and i'm sure the people in the 70s unfortunately so. for us yeah <laughs> good for them man I'm like i wish i was like four years younger Definitely. I would have been like one of the first dudes on YouTube. I'd be <laughs> killing it. But, you know, I mean, you know, I there's zero, like, for me, draw to being, you know. Yeah. You know, I, I you know, I, I, I manage our digital marketing here at McGuire's. And so I have to be pretty up in the know. And I have my own profile. I kind of use it. I play with it. Um, but, yeah, the idea of you got to be on there 24-7. It's like, oh, God, man, that would yeah. be. That'd be a nightmare for I mean, in this life stage. You know, when I was young and doing all those shows, that was my life. I just didn't have a camera. I, yeah, no, I wish you know? I wish I would have foresee that being something yeah. big because uh, that that would have definitely helped fast forward things a lot. Well, you're doing podcasts and podcasts right now is like it's 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 on the up and up. You know, I'm hoping, man. This yeah. is episode 105, so that's yeah, a, lot a lot of talking, time. man. I, I'm trying to put in my 10,000 hours, and I think I, I'm uh, close to that's it awesome. already, man. That's awesome. But uh, you bring up TJ Hunt, man. Yep. Um, funny story about him mm-hmm. is um, I just got a DM one day, okay. and uh, this customer or th- this uh, follower, he says, "Hey, man, congratulations for getting on TJ Hunt." And I'm just like, oh, "Okay, same thing." Like. Uh, what's that i wasn't familiar with it you know because it's just not in a disrespectful way but it's just not my community right so he sends me the link and tj actually um bought some of our hardware okay and used it on his brz okay 
and uh, did a whole install video on it. Uh-huh. And me, from a business point of view, I know that that's not something that people would necessarily do for free. Right. You know, right. so um, I watched it. And at this time, I think he had maybe five, 600K subs. Okay. And uh, I knew that there was a lot of value in mm-hmm. that. And I knew that what he did, he didn't have to do right. that. So I actually found his order, found his phone number, and I gave him a call and said, hey man, you know what? I, I appreciate you doing that. You did not have to do that. And I appreciate you doing that install video, not just mentioning the product, showing right. how it works, showing the value of it. And um, that that airtime is definitely costly. And for him to do it for free just off the strength right. of like the product, I, I saw him automatically in a different light yep. at that point. And I told him, hey, anything you ever need from this point on, you just reach out to me. This is my cell phone number. And um, dude, we've been working perfectly yeah, since yeah. then. And um, he's I, I really see him as one of the leaders of the new school. And I, I, I like what he's doing, man, yeah. especially the marketing that he does with you guys and with a, a lot of other companies i i look up to him in that regards that he's been able to take the tools that he's been um been given and turn it into a extremely successful career yeah yeah Yeah, and he's got a long way to go you know he's he's becoming the older cat of those guys (laughs) yeah where like everyone's coming to him like you know dustin from legends and you know i mean jack's kind of one of the newer kids who's just getting into kind of the car building space and i think adam lz he's really good friends with mm-hmm. but yeah i mean it's great that they're kind of pioneering and 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 you know they're being kind of the guys that kind of propel that forward right because they're they're the success stories him and adam probably the two uh the most out of all those guys definitely but, but even dustin's i mean i don't think he i think he, dustin just hit half million subs himself yeah he's really on the way cool. and the, the throttle guys was, mickey yeah. they're they're on the way too man and yeah and they're kind of guys going backwards right they're they're older cats that were like oh wow there's this new platform that i can definitely use to promote the business and you know there's even people that are like looking at it now and like should i try that you yes know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at Ryan and and, and you know, I've talked to Busy Moto about mm-hmm. it. You know, Busy's a little bit more of the podcast style, and, yeah, and more um, IG focused. The Tech Tuesday, the Tech Tuesday stuff, which is kind of something we kind of talked about. Yeah, I think we were at a Honda Civic Type R thing, and we just had lunch. Him, me, him, and his wife, and I was like, you know, what are you really trying to do? And we had a great conversation, and you know, I mean, I love what he does, and he's such a like from a. Um, you know, he, 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 I'm a UCLA guy. He's a UCLA guy. So his, like his engineering brain is like blows my mind, you know, and the stuff that he's been able to do with everything that he's done, the Honda, the Hyundai's, the Porsche stuff. Like I used to hear stories about BZ at UCLA. Like there's this guy here. Oh, that, really? Yeah. Cause he was an engineering student there. Uh-huh. And, you know, he was basically like hell bent on making a single cam go as fast as it could mm-hmm. when everyone was switching to dual overhead cam, yeah yeah right? yeah bz was out there like no 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 i'm gonna run you know <laughs> yeah so uh sohc you know and then like he got i mean he got that crx down to like i forget what it was like 12s or 11s or something really f- i mean for a single cam mm-hmm. um and for a long time carbureted too i think so yeah it's you know i get to have that come full circle and, and to kind of watch him do his thing like he was just on leno's garage yeah i just saw that man that's awesome so really happy for him and and really happy for this new opportunity that everyone's getting young yeah. and old to you know make an impact and and uh, and kind of you know be able to help again progress it forward right whether you're a new kid on the block like 
Jack or Dustin or, or TJ, because I, I still group them in that boat, or you're on the older side, like BZ and me and Mickey and, you know, guys that are may, might be older generation, yeah. you know? So it's it's really it's really an interesting time. It is. Yeah. And when you see things happen like that, I, I interpret it as a victory for all of us. Oh, absolutely. And um, uh, speaking of that, I was just watching a new Netflix uh, series. Well, it's not new. This is actually the second, second season. season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fastest, Car. Fastest Car. And um, the first episode, the all-wheel drive EG on okay. there. And uh, this, this guy, that guy, Daniel, uh, uh-huh. Frustrate, and he's from Florida. And okay. I've known him for years, and okay. his car is super crazy. Super you know? I've seen the videos of so, their, like, the drag strip. Ridiculous, man. There's like This all-wheel drive stuff that's going on uh-huh. is, is going to take everything to the next level. That's awesome. And once they start tapping into it and really figuring it out and how to make these cars... Uh, go fast and stay right. going fast consistently just like the sport front wheel drive community mm-hmm. has this uh this new class of all wheel drive is yeah, going to be out of here man. i'm actually really interested to watch that progress you know i know mickey's Definitely. building a car yeah the re- he's doing the rear wheel the rear wheel drive yeah right? using kind of the same yeah that's uh, he's whatnot, using the right? um the uh fcs okay. uh setup so fcs right. is providing the whole uh subframe and okay. things like that for all-wheel drive right but um back to uh back to daniel frustrate uh-huh. um just seeing him on that show hearing his story and and seeing that his story is being told right it, it just felt so good to me you know uh-huh. i i i felt so happy for him and right. his family and just the progression of the honda community it's not like this is just some random dude like he's dead in, in it, the community yeah. and to see to see somebody on that like that on the big screen yeah. is awesome man yeah. and um I just every time somebody wins from our community, it just feels like it just keeps getting, getting. bigger and bigger. And um, one thing that I wanted to touch on was the uh, battle of the builders. Okay. So you touched on it earlier yep. about the uh, hot rodders and how their ideas would be of imports and how they look at uh, the the stigma of imports and yep. Honda community and things like that. So can you kind of go over the uh, the history of Battle of the Builders and if if that has changed the mind in your in your opinion of older car builders because Coming yeah. from SEMA, that's more of their game Correct. than ours. Correct. So the Battle of the Builders show was created by SEMA mm-hmm. to kind of give an inside look. Some SEMA is a trade show, right? So you, you have to have a badge. You have to work for a company or, or know someone a company um, to get the badge to go to SEMA. But they really wanted to get even more exposure for the show. And, and I think they figured the way to do that was around the car builders, right? So they created this TV show called Battle of the Builders. Um, and, you know, the first season, three judges were all from uh, Motor Trend Group or Source Interlink, former Source Interlink. So David Freiberger, who was the editor of Hot Rod, who's now more of a YouTube personality with, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the show, but he, he's on a show. And then uh, Fred Fred Williams, who's who was, an ed- who was the chief editor of 4x4 Magazine, and then Sam Dew who was the chief editor of Super Street at the time. So, you know, in the beginning, um, each person, David for Hot Rod, Fred for Off-Road, and then Sam for Sport Compact, they they would judge their respective classes, and there would be, I think, a top seven Mm -hmm. each, and there'd be a top 21. And then the three of them would determine the top 10 from that top 21. Gotcha. Or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Uh, and so, you know, I took on from year two on, this will be year five or six that I'm doing it. Okay. And the great thing that I've learned with, with Fred and David is, you know, for sure, David had, has, had always been kind of open to just cool builds in general. Um, but, you know, I really learned a lot from him just about hot rod builds and, you know, coming from Meguiar's, we're very involved in the Riddler Award yes, and all yes, those yes. things. So I learned a lot too. Um, and then from Fred in the off-road world, and, you know, he's he's like all about function. Doesn't matter what it looks like as long as it functions. But I think as we've progressed over the last four years that we've done it together, we've started to find much more respect for each genre. And yet we're seeing a lot more things cross over because what, we're, we, what we started to see was, you know, most of every hot rod that was kind of part of David's top whatever would end up in the top 10 mm -hmm. because the amount of hours and time and money that get put on those builds is just on a different scale, right? But I think they met guys like Ryan and Big Mike and some of these other guys that were doing imports and trucks that they started to really like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, guys from like the Ring Brothers to the, um, the Roadster shop, you know, and I mean, the Roadster shop built a Camaro last year, a 70s Camaro that had a lot of, let's call it tuner influence. Really? Yeah, it had like rotiforms. So it was wide body in their own way. Yeah. But I think part of that was just them, be, I'm just guessing, but being exposed to that through uh -huh. battle of the builders, right? And just wanting to do something different that was outside of your normal pro touring style hot rod, you know? And, and to me, that's a win, you know? That's such a, yeah. such a great win. And, you know, battle of the builders has evolved now and I think it really needed it to a point where there's a, a first in class for every class. We also added the Young Guns Award. Yes to recognize people that I think are under 28, if I remember correctly. And so there's a first, second, third in the sport compact class, the hot rod class, the truck class, and the young guns class. And then those four fight it out for the top one. And it's, you know, for the listeners that don't know, the judges only scale it down to a certain number. So it used to be top seven, now it's top 10. Mm -hmm. So there's a group of influencers that do the young guns, they do top 10. I do all the sport compacts. Fred does all the off-road. David does all the hot rods. And so there's 40 cars. And then from there, we get a first, second, third. So that makes it 12 cars. And then from those 12, those 12 builders actually judge each other. Got you. So, and then there's the, you know, that based on the number of votes, there's a first in each class. And then based on those four class winners, there's a kind of a best of show, which I think is the way it should be. Because what was happening before, and unfortunate for the truck guys and the sport compact guys and the young guns was the like 80 or 90% of the cars in the final group were always the hot rods yeah. because the build quality and the time and energy and money was just at a different level. And a lot of them were bankrolled by some person that you know, was super wealthy, right? You're talking half a million, 750,000 million dollar builds. Mm -hmm the quality of the build is just different from a guy who's blood, sweat and tears with two other friends in their driveway or at some body shop, yeah. right? You know, the, the fab work and the man hours, like, you know, you talk about Ring Brothers, you talk about Roadster Shop, you talk about Chip Foose or Bobby Alloway, like they've got a crew of like 10 or 15. Oh yeah, you, we don't have something for that. Well, you know, let's like, jig something up, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, how you compete with that when you have an import car? Yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah. You're like Ryan and Big Mike and like Ryan's little place. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, you know, 
I think that was really good for SEMA to do, you know, when they told us, us that last year, it switched last year, I was really happy to hear that. And there was a first place in, in all the categories. So I think, you know, for a while, a lot of the import guys kind of for a while, like, I don't even want to join because it's going to be all hot rods. But I was always like, yeah, but it's great exposure for for uh, for this category, you know, the, you know, this category for me that I grew up in. Yeah. Um, and I would always try to push people like, just enter, man. Like, even if you don't win, but it's you know, at least you get some exposure. You kind of sh show this genre and what you do. But now this kind of brings it to a different kind of level of the, the exposure that you can get, which I think is really cool. So, yeah, I think the lines are blurring. You know, I think I, I think as as the world becomes more globalized, you know. Like, there isn't as strong of a feeling like import only, domestic only, euro only. I think you still kind of gravitate towards one field, but I think the appreciation that you have for other cars, it's not as stringent like it was for me, you know, where it was only this and only, and then for you too, right? Mm -hmm. Like now I think, you know, you get a kid like Jack and he's like, yeah, Ford Focus is as cool as a R32. Yeah. Is as, you know, for TJ, it's a Supra, a MK4 Supra is as cool as a BRZ, you know, is as cool as whatever. He just did a Mustang, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, to me, that's really cool. You know, at the same time, it's really cool where like a Dustin's only doing Japanese and more JDM focused. But, you know, I think there's just a lot more variety. And I think the show and this competition has helped open people's eyes. Um, you know, it's definitely for me working with Fred and, and David and learning what they look for when they look at builds. And then what I look for and what's important to me in, in, in this sport compact or what I feel should be important in the sport compact space. So, you know, the more conversation that people can have, um, I think it's that whole thing that you talked about, that networking thing yes. where it just opens up your mind more. So I'm I'm super excited to, to have, you know, again, another small part in that show and, and to be able to contribute. You know, I've signed on for this year again. And, you know, I really, it's funny, this will be my 23rd SEMA show in a row. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm still as excited as ever. Yeah. You know, because I love cars. Like, yeah. I love looking at cars. And, you know, the first day that we're there, we we whittle it down from like 400 entries to about 60 to 70 that we look at in one day. Um, that's about 10 hours of walking around. Wow. And I, th I mean, you're tired at the end, but man, I, I get to see some really cool builds, you know, from different perspectives. Um, and to me, that's, I, man, I just, it's what it's what gets me out of bed, to be honest. So what's what's gets me excited about going to awesome, SEMA man. for twenty yeah. third time. So yeah, it's it's cool and it's exciting and and I hope they continue it. You know, I hope there's more things like it that are that are not just cross genre. If if for the lack, I mean, this this show on Netflix feels like it's yeah. definitely cross genre, mm -hmm. and part of that's the casting, right? We yeah. want. I think Amelia's on there and some guy with a Honda and it's probably some some muscle car guy and some exotic guy because I remember season one was like some really rich dude with They always exotic, get the douchebag with douche the exotic, exotic on there. Yeah. yeah. I was you know, I heard Abel Ibarra was on season one and something happened when he got taken out by a different car, but I was like, Man, if anyone's gonna win that, it's gonna be a and so I knew Abel from kind of the early import racing uh -huh. days and you know, he's a big rotary guy and he had this crazy R one hundred that would pop wheelies. <laughs> And then he ended up having a full two chassis uh, FD that was, man, just one of the sickest builds ever. 
um, from a from a tube chassis race car perspective. Um, but it was it was really cool to to find someone like him in a show like that, which sounds like this guy from Florida, you know. And yeah. For me, that was a win because Abel was kind of part of my generation, and and I had I had heard like, oh, he's on the show. I'm like, that is the perfect guy for, yeah. for that show, you know. And, As perfect representation, mm-hmm. and that that's what I felt when yeah. I seen Frustrate on there. Um, my wife and I were watching it, and we I went to the last episode because that's when the big race is, uh, and so he ended up winning his first race. Okay, and the last race is just like adrenaline going and i'm just like i i, I want to see this race right, i want to right. see him and unfortunately something happened with the transmission uh, but if it didn't happen i'm sure he, he would have won it spoiler yeah. alert uh, if you haven't uh, seen it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i just said that but uh yeah dude it, it's it's cool to see that they the honda guys are definitely getting yeah. their respect that they deserve now the um i'm, I'm pretty tapped into the honda community right. And what's going on with that? And I'm just extremely excited for the future. You know, the Honda community, it's been really interesting to watch it evolve. You know, being as someone that was part of that early Honda community, you know, kind of dipping out of it a little bit, but still kind of in, staying in touch and, mm-hmm. and seeing what it is today. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, you talked about people that have made a difference in that progressing forward. I mean, you know, the wire tucking and mm-hmm. what Ryan has done and the mil spec wiring and and even guys like you know uh matt at icb yeah and, and you know chad and we ceo and, and and jay and and you know kind of their influence and 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 then, uh, and then everyone else that's just kind of part of that movement parnell at kosoku and yeah it's really cool i mean you know being someone that's kind of outside looking in now because I'm, I'm just not as entrenched i don't i don't have i mean i just bought a new accord a 2.0 which I'm like super stoked to have a Honda again, but I haven't <laughs> yeah. had a Honda in forever. Really? And everyone's like, dude, you got to do a heritage build. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. You know, like yeah. there's definitely days I'm like, oh, I'd love an S2000 again. Yeah. Everyone's like, go buy a DA. And I'm like, the, you know, there's a couple of DAs out there and I'm like, they did it. They did it right. Like Jay's DA to me is like the way I would redo one. Like there's no point, you know? Um, or even Pornell's like, mm-hmm. you know, like it's like perfect to me, you know? So I'm like, yeah, you know, and I really don't want to deal with it, but it's just so cool to just kind of see the Honda movement today. I was just in the Pacific Northwest with Sam yeah, yeah, yeah. and I met a, quite a few guys that had these just ridiculous Honda builds up there that I didn't even know were there. One guy is, he's kind of everyone's fabricator, but he works for Boeing and he can weld titanium. His name is Mike. Oh God, I got to look at his last name, but he has a, I think he has, what's the Civic SI that was after E, I after think it was EG? like 90, yeah, after, not, not, is it FK or? The EM1, no. What's the blue Civic SI that came out that had the B16? Yeah, the EM1. Is that the EM1? Yeah. So he has that generation. Um, oh, Mike from Arizona? Uh, it's it's bagged everything's no, chrome no bagged not bagged yeah the guy he he drives with racing slicks in his trunk oh no 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 <laughs> yeah no, no. and it's um nsx purple got you got uh, you okay but uh, you know um twin cam turbocharged titanium everything yeah like manifold and everything like this guy's work is phenomenal man. sick and so it was really cool to see like the honda scene there there was like a bright yellow type r jdm front end type r motor blue recaros um blue te's really rad i think best of show went to an old dc that was uh normal us lights that converted to jdm Mm -hmm. lights and had a like this 
crazy like individual throttle body setup with quick release hoses and even big mike was like yo this car is crazy and so it's cool like just to see little pockets of it i'm sure yeah. they're all around the country it sounds like there's one in florida and yeah you know no definitely man i think um outside of california the best representation of the uh honda culture would be an h-day event okay i would definitely recommend checking one out yeah, one of I'd these love days to go. i've never been i had heard how because it's gotten to like ten thousand people and it's it's ridiculous crazy, man right? and not only the the car show portion of uh -huh. it but the uh the racing the aspect racing. of it you're you're talking all the fastest cars in the u.s like that's the place where how fast gonna be. are cars now just out of curiosity um i think just overall uh -huh. you're deep into the sevens wow front already front wheel drive uh yeah front wheel drive even this, wow. yeah um so if you have a sport front wheel drive uh -huh. car um low eights if you're not in the low eights there's pretty much no reason besides you know the passion that to do it crazy and uh something even crazier is uh all motor cars are already in the eights all motor cars all are motor there. yeah Damn. so there's a lot of new yeah, classes yeah. coming out there's a nitro class that's okay. coming out. i'm not super familiar what it is but right. a lot of people are very excited about it that is so crazy yeah man it, it it would definitely be something to see yeah. if you if you have a free weekend when it's around. I would definitely uh, I, recommend checking it out, out. Yeah. Um, because it would just show you the progression yeah. of where it was mm -hmm. back in battle of the import days to right. where it is now. Yeah. And uh, people are sh on the show car side. People are building their cars to debut them at an H day yeah. event. And uh, on the racer side, people are test and tuning all the time just so For they that. can go race at that event. That's so cool. Um, you know, it's it's something that I recommend to everybody. And it's kind of like the thing that you did when you went to Tokyo Auto Salon. You know, you just went because that was part of your passion. I would definitely recommend people do the same yeah. thing. You know, if there's a show that's happening in, um, in the East Coast, you're talking maybe... 800 bucks for that whole weekend everything your flight your right. hotel your car it's like i think people don't understand how little it really costs to make these life experiences happen yeah for sure rather than spending three thousand dollars on some wheels that you're gonna wait eight months for yeah it's, fu it's funny to me that that's come back because you know when i was growing up you had to wait six to eight months and then for a while, like you get whatever you want, whenever you want it, you know? Um, and now it's back to like, you want some, some SSR formula mesh, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> Hey RJ, uh, you either got to pay for air freight or you're waiting like three to six months. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I had a buddy, he did a VIP car and he wanted, um, some work wheels. So I, you know, linked him up with evasive and he waited four, four or five months for it, you know, and, and it kind of, you know, jolted me back to like being at like CarMate or Han Motoring and like. Oh, SSR Neos, yeah, you know, and you're like, yo, bro, that's gonna be like eight months before we can get those, or, yeah, you know, or being at promotion and be like, yeah, <laughs> some, you know, some GP Theta SSRs or some, you know, Type Cs or something or whatever it was that I was super into at the time. It's like, oh, I really want that wheel, and you would wait forever, and there was this anticipation, yeah, which to me is kind of fun, you know. Yeah, no, definitely, it's fun. But um, I guess the point I was getting at is people, I don't see think that they value um travel as much yeah. and it could be that they just haven't experienced yeah. it yeah. so if you could kind of tap into that a little bit i know you're big on traveling sure. um you started traveling at a very early age yes. what what do you think that traveling did for you and uh your growth as a person oh i mean it had everything to do with me growing as an individual 
you know, when you travel, especially out of country, you start to realize that the world is small and that things that used to bug you that were like the end of the world things weren't were just insignificant things because you really start to understand different people, different cultures. Um, and for me, I really fed off that, you know, like going to Japan. And then I started going to other shows around the world. So I went to SN Motor Show in Germany and wherever, wherever I could find a show, I would go, you know. And you just start meeting people from different cultures. So traveling to me is just exposing yourself to, to the rest of the world. And then you start to really become an odd on two things that are very counter opposite and one how big the world is and how different things are and at the same time how small the world is yes, yes. and how connected everything is and so to me you know like i can't go a month without traveling and not get antsy mm -hmm. like I, I like i need to be on really play. i need to go somewhere <laughs> else i need to try different food i need to walk around somewhere and just part of all the inspiration that i get is by meeting others, it's by networking, it's by having new experiences, it's by seeing things that I've never seen before. Um, that to me is, you know, just a part of growth, right? And and also being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So it's it's hard to be uncomfortable when it's not your norm. It's become my norm to be uncomfortable. Um, and and I say that because I think your greatest growth comes to when you're un un uncomfortable or you're being challenged heavily. It might not be the funnest experience in that moment, but once you've done it a couple of times, you you know, a lot of times if you're aware enough, you'll realize like where I really grew, where I really progressed is, is, is in this place where I was probably the most uncomfortable and uncertain um, because you're trying out new things, you're solving problems in a different way um, because you're kind of sometimes you're, you know, you know your, your, your back is against the wall or, or, or it's just an unfamiliar space or territory. So like for me, in terms of traveling, I love traveling and just getting lost in a city yeah. with, with no real plan. And, and, and in those moments, I've really run into like some of the best things I've ever seen, like just stumbling onto something like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was here. Um, or the shop was here or this restaurant was here or whatever. So to me, it's, you know, I, I I mean, I do hear a lot about millennials wanting to experience life more, mostly through music festivals, right? That's, yes, that's yes. the big one. Which it's hey, start with that, you know, mm -hmm. um, and get on the road, and just meet other people and and do things. Hopefully, you're doing you're not doing Coachella every year. Yeah, like you're really not growing if it's like your tenth year at Coachella. <laughs> but you know, if that's your thing, like I've been to SEMA twenty three years, yeah. right? and I've been to Auto Salon fifteen plus years. But do other things at the same time, right? So. You know, I've been to Pebble Beach Concordia Elegance ten years, you know, in a row now. I've, I've done Detroit Autorama five years, you know, on and off. And so, to me, it's just all about that new experience and making sure you're kind of opening up, um, let's call it your horizon and your yeah, eyes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just and, and you know, kind of in, in a way embracing it. You don't have to lose who you are and what you like. Hopefully, you're just learning more to kind of expand your interest you know and and to me that's important if you if we're talking about progression and growth to me that's a, a really key component to progression and growth is to knowing what's what else is out there in the world to being open to fresh ideas so you can kind of reiterate and create new and fresh ideas of your own you know and not get stuck um 
there's this flip side to that too. If you really want to be the best at something, sometimes it takes a really long time to be very focused, very Japanese, right? This mm-hmm. idea of like otaku and super obsession and hoshin kanri, which means like I can do the same exact thing better every day. So, you know, it is two different schools of thought. I think you have to pick one or the other depending on the life stage that you're in and the personality that you have. Because there's definitely a lot of things that happen in Japan or the way they are because they've been doing that same thing for 50 years, 60. I mean, talk about the sushi guy, right? Yeah. You know, um, Jiro, right? He's been basically doing sushi for like 70 years, you know? Yeah. Like, and there's no one else in the world that's like, and he's still like, I could do it better tomorrow. He's like 90 something. Like, I can still be better tomorrow. So, you know, I, that sounds really contradictory in, in what I'm saying, but I think what, you know, my message is find the, th- you know, be willing to adjust and evolve and choose the thing that makes sense for you. And for me, traveling and expanding my horizons is what made sense for me to progress in my career. Doesn't mean it's always going to be like that for everyone. Yeah. So what are some things that you have uh, that you want to work on or your goals for the future? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. Um, you know, as, as, as I've gotten older, I've done a lot more soul searching. Um, and then I've had people close to me that, that I've almost lost. Luckily I didn't, so I'm just borrowed time with them. And, you know, those moments make you realize like, and, and make, make yourself look in the mirror and and ask yourself what's really important in life. Right. So this is going to sound really philosophical, but you know, what's important to me now is, you know, developing stronger relationships with the people that I'm really close to and, 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 and enjoying those relationships. We talked about this earlier, enjoying time with family or close friends and making more time for that. And also for me, developing and, 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 and growing and making myself better each and every day um, in different places that are not that are not my norm or not my normal interests. Um, you know, professionally, you know, I, I mean, I've been here for 10 years. I love my job. I love this car community that we're both involved in, uh, both from the Japanese tuning side and just the greater car community as a whole. So for me, you know, my goal is just to help continue, hopefully, you know, doing my small bit to help keep, you know, progressing it and, and you know, sharing it with others and, and hopefully not letting it die, right? A lot yeah. of people are talking about it, it disappearing. And so for me, like, you know, even working with these influencers, like I I, I take a lot of kind of joy and pride in, in trying to, to, to inspire kind of that next generation, hopefully. So that to me is a, is a big goal is not just, in the car world, but just in general, like how do I, you know, it's cliche to say give back, but yeah, how do I give back and inspire kind of, you know, people to find better ver- better versions of themselves um, and, and, and what they do. And l- like you, if I can do it in some small way and help them, um, you know, find some sort of success or progression, then to me, that's my goal, you know, in, in, in the life stage that I'm in right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not so worried about kind of, you know, 20 years ago, I had a business and it was, I was more focused on me and my business, which I think when you have your business, that's what you should be, you know, and, and I'm in a different place now. That doesn't mean I might not go back to that. Yeah. You know, I think I, I have probably have some desire to do my own thing again. I don't know when, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you said, you've been doing your thing for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. And we all know as entrepreneurs, like it, it's going to take five to 10 to 15 years to really find success. And I have a couple friends that I've helped through the years and I'm kind of, and I watched and I'm like, oh, they really want to get back into that grind, right? Yeah. Where you can never turn it off. 
So I think, you know, there's a desire for that at some point. Um, not right now. So I have all these things that are kind of in in this space and and, and I'm a I'm a believer of dreaming but also being rooted in reality. And so I have these dreams outside that I that I know I want to kind of point myself to when the time is right, but I'm also not in a rush anymore like I used to be when I was young. And so those are all the things that kind of circulate in my head, you know, but at the end of the day it is about kind of you know, planning for the future, but at the same time being more mindful of enjoying the now. Yeah. Because before I was definitely all about like tomorrow, 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 progress, progress, progress. So even with all the cars that I built, it was a great example. Like I never really appreciated a lot of the covers that I got or any of those things because I was always like, I don't want to appreciate any of those because that's going to hold me back from pushing to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a blessing and a curse, like, I did a lot of things and I pushed a lot and I accomplished a lot of things, but I curse in a way that I, there are probably moments that I could have stopped and kind of smelt the roses and enjoyed it a little bit more Yeah, and, and not let it, you know, because my constant fear was like, I would be that guy with one build. And then like, you know, I built this one car five, six years ago that I'm still trying to, you know, kind of capitalize on and, and, and kind of have notoriety for that to me was like, everything that I, that I stood against, you know? And so I, I, and because that was the case for me at that life stage, I didn't appreciate it, those moments as much as I probably could. Um, so, you know, I think there's this balance that you have to find as you get older that makes more sense. Man, I'm so glad that you said that. Um, one thing that I've been saying lately is it's a lot harder for me to find the same joy that I, of, um, like appreciation, gratitude, and accomplishment uh, as it was earlier mm -hmm. in my career. Saying as simple as getting a new set of wheels. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember getting a new set of wheels and deal, it was just right? like, oh my God. Yes. I, even even before that, getting a new air freshener. Uh -huh. You know, getting an air freshener getting and wanting to, yeah, getting, getting the, the squash, squash and wanting to go to the meat and just yeah. like that feeling. Yeah. I, I don't think a lot of people really put that much weight on that feeling. Yeah. But how I feel is um, happiness and joy is it is what it is and it doesn't determine on how big the goal is mm -hmm. um that's just the the feeling that you get yeah i mean so, it's really easy to get jaded right and to get spoiled like, you know going to auto salon and seeing my first gtr I, it was the airport parking lot and i yeah. walked around it for 20 minutes and then like by year three of auto salon i was walking past gtrs like eh, same yeah you know uh, yeah and so, you know, like you said, I think you have to find a time to to hopefully find some awareness to enjoy those things. Uh, and part of it is unplugging for a while and being out of something for a minute, mm -hmm. right? So it's not your every day. It's exactly how I look at the Honda world right now. It's not my every day. I still really appreciate it. I still have a lot of memories on it. But because I'm a little bit detached, yeah, I actually enjoy it more when I see it, you know? Yeah, so I mean... Um the reason I say that is because I want I want to give people the uh, from my point of view going through all that stuff that I've went through and all those goals that I've reached. Mm -hmm. Each time that I reach a new goal, it kind of doesn't feel as good as it did when I reached those lower goals mm -hmm. that I didn't put much weight right on. So people that are at that state, uh, I would like them to realize that you know this is something huge and you're probably not going to get that sort of feeling of accomplishment that you will in the future yeah. as your career progresses. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a there's an awareness side to that for sure. That's kind of natural progression, right? Um, as you find more success, you want more success, and and so the successes don't seem as big, like you said, like in early on when you get your first ones. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think you're right. You know, um, you know, I think I'm for me, I'm a proponent of just try to enjoy the now, yeah, yet push for the future. You know, you're gonna, you know, I, I'm not a person that believes in in this idea of balance. I, I believe that balance is a pendulum, right? Mm-hmm. And it swings from one to the other. And balance to me is just controlling that swing and being aware of like where you are in that swing. And, and so, you know, life is definitely an ebb and a flow. And so I think you're right. I think, you know, hopefully, and the funny thing is when you're young, you don't listen to anyone. I know <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I don't know about you. Yeah. I didn't. And so here we are telling like, you guys should really think about this. <laughs> and they're probably giving the finger to us. Yeah. Like, you dudes. Yeah, whatever, you know. Um, and then they're going to come to the same stage that we're at right mm-hmm. now. And that's just natural life progression. And, and the best that we can do is just put that message out there. And hopefully, you know, one or two individuals listen, right? So, um, but it's it's also great to watch everyone make their own mistakes and yeah. go through it in their own way. Um, because everyone's going to have to do it, you know, because they're, it's their own life. Yeah. So. No, I, I definitely feel like mm-hmm. that. And with this platform, I really want to put out those kind of trials and tribulations yeah. that people do go through. Uh, there's a quote that I love is uh, a smart person learns from their mistakes, but a wise person learns from the mistakes of others, you know, mm-hmm. and I have no problem telling my mistakes. Right. Hopefully it helps somebody out. Yes, and yep. that was really one big mistake that I did do early on in my career is not appreciate the moments that were happening at that time. And two, I'm in that same point where, you know, I have my family and uh, I want to spend as much time with them as possible and, and, understand that my son is only going to be this age once myself and my wife are only going to be this age one time and to to kind of appreciate what's going on at this time and and try to detach from you know the hustle and bustle of the podcast of business of whatever drama is going on within within that circle of it you know and it's just it's a struggle every day just to try to balance everything out it's just prioritizing time for things you know um and really a starting to feel, you know part of it is accepting that certain things that we make are big deals aren't big deals mm-hmm. you know you're you know like when you make your family that important you cut out time you just cut out something else that you know and, and it's accepting like like yeah that was important but it's not as important not anymore. as important yeah. yeah so it's hard to come to that when you have your own business because yeah. you know the the natural kind of ideology in business is you know bigger more sales, more profits, bigger building, you know, like it's kind of this never ending black hole. And so, you know, I think there's, there's a point where people have to take it that step back and like try to find like what's enough for them, you know, and asking themselves what is enough for them, you know, because if, if you're just caught in this more, 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 the reality is nothing's going to ever be enough in your, it's always going to kind of be empty. Um, and so hopefully people get to that realization, like, yeah, of course we all want to be successful. We all want to work hard, but you know, uh, at what cost? And, and, and are we willing to, you know, pay those costs? And if not, then how do we make adjustments so we can, you know, again, control that pendulum to not swing as, as drastic, right. And, and find a little bit more balance. So I think it's a great message, you know, cause I think you're in the midst of it right now and there's yeah. nothing like someone telling people what they're going through in the moment versus something like someone like me that 
that doesn't have kids that'll say something about it. It's not as it's not as real, right? I mean, I have nephews who are like my kids, and they're super important to me, but it's just not the same. Yeah, you know? it's like. It's like telling a woman, like you know, what it's like to to carry a baby, and we're guys, and they're <laughs> yeah. like, you don't even know, man. <laughs> so. Yeah, definitely. I, I appreciate you touching on that, man. Yeah. Um, so before we get out of here, I want to uh, see if you could paint us a picture of what uh, SEMA 2019 is going to look like for Battle of the Builders, for yeah. McGuire, and for what you foresee the um, the Rocket Bunny kit being of yeah. this show. Well, I think the Supra is going to be from the import community the big thing, right? I've, I'm already seeing so many builds. You know, TJ's got one. Mm-hmm. I know there's a qu- quite a few. I think Johnny's got one. Um, that's going to be you know Track Coyo or Rocket Bunny. Sam as well, right? Sam has one as well. His is a little bit cleaner. So I think you know that's going to kind of from the import side of the business. I think that's going to be the thing. Mm-hmm. Whether it's you know some are going to be wide body, some are going to be cleaner. There seems to be a lot more wide body than I would yeah. have anticipated, but there seems like there's going to be quite a few. Um, you know, SEMA's doing things. I, I heard they're having like an overlanding kind of pavilion. And overlanding to me is an interesting genre. A lot of my friends have gotten into that, you know, where they own a Tundra or a Raptor or a Forerunner and they're going out, you know, and camping, but they still have full TRD everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they're like rock climbing in a way. So, that to me is really interesting. And I, I've seen that over the last couple of years get gained more and more and more steam. Um, you know, Battle of the Builders, like I thought last year was a great pivotal year um, in terms of us recognizing people in every category. So I'm anticipating like more people jazzed for their category, whether you're an off-road guy or a sport compact guy or a young gun. So I'm anticipating more entries than before, which to me is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, super excited to be a part of that, you know, for us as a company, you know, we, again, we've been at, at SEMA since the very first one in the seventies. Wow. Um, I think it was at angels or Disneyland. No way. And then it was at Dodger <laughs> stadium. And no way. Here. So, wow. you know, each and every year we've got new items next, this year is a, a big year for us. We got a lot of new items. Um, that are going to be great for us, and it's going to be great for the, the car care space. We've got some pretty cool cars in the booth. Uh-huh. Uh, one's an American car, one's a Euro car. We've got our out. We have a new big rig as well that we're showing for the first time this weekend. And then on the outside, you know that that rig is outside, and we have a good uh, another five or six cars there. Um, that you know TJ's cars out there, Jack's cars out there. We have a cool '69 Camaro. I think we actually have a Bronco as well. Okay, cool. From RMD Garage. So good, you know, kind of cross general, you know, cross genre, um, much more than the booth because the booth we only get two cars. Yeah, so exciting, you know. For me, again, number twenty three, super jazzed Sick, already. Man. Yeah, definitely. already starting to check out people's builds. Yeah, like, hey, you got something going? On? Let me <laughs> check it out. You know, what do you got going on? Because um, to me, that's the most inspiring is to see how people kind of express their creativity through their cars. Um, you know, I, I like the people too, but I re- I, I'm a huge fan of design, uh, whether it's sneakers or fashion or cars or architecture, even food, right? You know, um, when they do like high-end food and stuff. So to me, that's really inspiring. So I'm super excited to kind of see like what comes at SEMA and the overlanding bit to me is really exciting. Um, the Supra, you know, it reminds me of like BRZ FRS. Definitely. Launching. And yeah. And at least there's a new car that people are going to really play with. I mean, I think Civic Type R came out last year, but they didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot you could really do. And yeah. the, the people that bought Civic Type R's weren't 
didn't want to go as far as what it feels like most a lot of super guys, which is really interesting to me. So, I mean, I don't know if we're going to see one with a 2J in it at this point, but it'd be great yeah. to see one with a 2J that's street and not a drift car. Um, that would really blow my mind personally. Um, to get it done that quickly, yeah, you know, and get it running. Um, but maybe someone's gonna do a transplant that we don't expect, and that to me is even more interesting. So, so yeah, I mean, excited for 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 the show. I'm assuming quite a few people are using your uh, yeah your product, right? <laughs> hopefully, shameless man. plug. And uh, you know, I, I you know, I you know, I'm pretty aware of of the stuff that you make and what people use it for. It's it's really cool because it's you know me as a person me being part of Maguire's, it's all about this idea of it's all in the details, yes. right? And it's the little details that matter. And your product is one of those things where if you see someone use it, you know they're all into the little details. Because a lot of people can fix up cars and do things from like um, 20 feet good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, it's like, well, that looks pretty good. And you walk <laughs> up, you're like, uh, well, it's pretty good, but, you know, like, you know, there's overspray everywhere. Yeah, definitely. Or, or something and you and you know there's little things that people do and you're like yeah they're like these guys are detail oriented right yeah. and then and you look more into the build and more into the build and you find little nuances which to me is like that's the joy of SEMA and battle of the builders is to find the little nuances on like oh i had to remake this thing like four times yeah and you're like why like well the first time you know and the second time you know and and that that labor of love to me is um, super inspiring. So you know, and SEMA is the place where a lot of people show that, right? Especially with a competition like Battle of the Builders, or even for what the Super Street Maguire's Ultimate Award has become. Like people are now like, "Hey, uh, so are you guys gonna go look at my car?" And like, yeah. Before no one, you're like, "What are you guys giving away?" Yeah. And now we'll get like DMs, you know, like, "Hey, so <laughs> you gonna, my car's in this booth. I don't know if Sam saw it. Or yeah. You saw it. And so." It's cool. That's that's really exciting for me to have that opportunity to to do my part to hopefully highlight some people. Yeah. Um, because everyone everyone works so hard on their build. You know, no matter if, if if you and I don't like it or other people don't like it or they do like it, there's still an effort that gets put out. You Definitely. know, and, and I wanna me as a as a enthusiast in this space as as, as having s uh, somewhat of an ability to kind of highlight that, you know, I want to do what I can to, to give everyone that moment that I had, you know, whether it's one second or two seconds, you know, to feel appreciated, to feel acknowledged. I think though, you know, I think especially for young builders, it's really important that we do that, you yeah. know? Um, and so, you know, I'm, I feel very blessed that I get this opportunity each and every year to do it. So I'm looking forward to that, man. That's awesome. Just the way that you worded everything. It's, it's, that's like the best feeling ever just to be able to you've had such a, a great career and you've mm -hmm. experienced so much but it's not many people that would see joy in others experience the same things yeah. that they did a lot of people are on a more of a their own sort yeah. of path and they just want to keep uh, moving on with their career right. but for what you're doing with the battle of the builders and um being a respected member of the import community, it makes us feel like now we have a stake in in the game, yeah. in in the whole entire community. For sure, I mean, you know, our side of the business has grown to be a significant part of car culture, right? You know, from from even where I began in the '90s to where it is now, it's at a much different level. So it's 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 great to see more you know more people become involved. Um, and to partner with those people to make it, you know, bigger and better. 
and 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 at the same time, it's really important for me to cross pollinate people. Yeah. Right. You know, and and get builders to look at a Riddler build or something else, so they understand. Like, because a lot of people they do a thing. It's like, oh, you know, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and you're like, yeah, it is for this. Yeah. Genre, but go look at this and look at this and look at this and and. You know, because there, there's things that that a lot of the old school cats do that you're just like, wow. I mean, we talk about and you know, wire tucking and shaved engines. I mean, that's a hot rod thing. Yeah, definitely. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it took a long time for people to kind of see that and apply it to the to the to the Honda side of the world or, or the import side of the world. And so, I think there's always something that people can learn from other people. Um, and you know, hopefully, I can be a proponent on, on getting people to like, you know, cross pollinate and just kind of look at other things. Definitely, man. RJ, thank you so much thank for your you. time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it. I'm, I'm talkative. This was no. probably one of the longest podcasts. Oh, no. We've done a four-hour one oh, wow. before. Okay. I love well, it, man. You make my job easy. I'm yeah. just here listening just like the just like the listeners are, man. I really, cool. really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, we can link up at SEMA and maybe even an auto salon. Sure. Are you going this year? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, I'll be at both of them. Okay. Awesome. For and sure. you've been before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, SEMA, I'm, I'm not sure. It's probably been like seven, eight years. Awesome. But Auto Salon, this is going to be my fourth year. So awesome. Ryan and I are going to be out there okay. uh, running amok and having fun Sounds and just good. eating like crazy, man. Yeah, to the listeners out there, like like Frank says, man, go experience life. Come to Auto Salon. Get to SEMA if you can. Attend the shows that you can. Just enjoy this thing that we have. You know, who knows if it's going to be around forever. Hopefully it is. But, you know, we, we live at a, in a time where it's great to have the opportunity to have these experiences. So thank you, Frank, for having me. I, of course. I appreciate being able to share my story and, and hopefully impart a little bit of knowledge, hopefully. A to, lot. Uh, Definitely. To the current gen and the next gen and, and even the old gen who are listening going, no, that guy. <laughs> uh, it's been cool, man. It's been cool to share that, to share my story. Thank you once again. And uh, for everybody listening, where can they find you at? Uh, I'm not very active anymore, but I do have my Instagram page. It's just RJ, uh, Devera or RJ underscore Devera. That's probably the thing that I'm most active about. Um, very much all my posts are about cars, a little bit about shoes and a little bit about food and a little bit about travel, but I'd say it's like 90% cars. So if you love car stuff, I, I am I'm always kind of throwing stuff up there. of just cool, cool stuff that I see as I travel. And that's really about it. I mean, I have a Facebook page. Uh, my Instagram goes to my Facebook. I don't really, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really push it a whole lot. But um, that would be that would be it. I mean, you know, I I, tr- I try to answer my DMs when I can. I'm not super good at it. I, I am kind of an old fogey <laughs> that doesn't really get too involved in social. But but I'm around. Yeah. So uh, if you guys want to know how old Foggy he is, you could just check out his new shoes that he just posted up. <laughs> exactly. The dad shoe. The I, dad I, I, shoes. I gave in. The hype beast got man. the best in me. I got, I got the Yeezy dad shoes on right now, right. man. Sometimes you just got to make that transition. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> RJ, thank you so much, man. I All appreciate right. it. Guys, once again, this is Downtime with Downstar, episode 105, and we out. Peace. Peace.